the falling leaves drift by the window the autumn leaves of red and gold welcome to a special double edition of the anderson observer podcast news from people you trust there is so much going on and so many people making news, so let's jump right in. We are almost October, and Anderson County news is coming as fast as the falling leaves, and new economic development countywide is coming around. Got the new development in Pelzer with new housing, new businesses, a new airport terminal with additional space for air cargo and plans for a children's park. Uh, county EMS is up and running. The new countywide EMS is up and running and working out all the kinks. And Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns and I sat down to talk about these and other developments this week. I guess the biggest thing that's been occupying time over the last month is the new countywide EMS system. Uh, It is around three weeks old today. And the county has hired 45 paramedics. And we are staffing 14 quick response vehicles, or QRVs if you hear that term. We're doing that in partnership with ANMED. They have pledged $1.4 million to this project. In addition to that, the county awarded a contract to MedShore, and MedShore's job is to primarily provide transport. In a perfect scenario, our QRVs, which are, for the most part, uh, SUVs or uh, (coughs) cars, And our job is to get there as fast as humanly possible and render emergency aid, stabilization, and maybe even see whether a transport unit is needed because we get all kinds of calls. But those QRVs are all staffed by paramedics. And as you know, there are three levels of EMTs, and paramedic is the top top rung. So they can dispatch instantly. They're placed all over the county to serve the whole county. And... MedShore is required to have ambulances, a certain number of ambulances, and that number can change and go up based on conditions. And so you have 14 QRVs in the county, and you have all of the vehicles from MedShore. But it has been a wonderful three weeks, but we have found some glitches in the system. Uh, We ran everything as best we could, but real world always brings you back to what is. And every time we find a glitch, and a glitch can be a serious thing in somebody's life, okay? We take it seriously, we investigate that incident, and we work as hard as we can to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But this is really like a three-legged stool, because everything begins with dispatch. And this is a lot of work for our dispatchers who have the hardest job in the United States of America, any dispatcher anywhere. So dispatch has got used to the new system. Our QRVs, brand new. We had three before, but they were in less populated, underserved areas. And now with that being countywide, with dispatch, and integrating this with priority ambulance service, uh, the last four or five days have been running really, really, really well. Will we ever be perfect? We will never be perfect, but our goal is perfection because somebody's life is hanging in the balance. And at Council Tuesday night, 
Council Tuesday night, Ray Graham mentioned we're at record numbers of calls. And for the last two weekends, for some reason... But they said maybe COVID was... Well, we think COVID, but why the last two weekends? But it has been two of the busiest weekends on record in Anderson County history. But there were a lot of big public events over Labor Day and the other things, so that could have played into... And COVID does have an impact because, I mean, in some cases, let's take last night, for example, they had ambulances stacked at AnMed, okay? with a wait time of about 30 minutes. And then we knew five more were coming. Now this is last night. I think today is the 23rd, and that was last night. So you stack an ambulance up for 30 minutes, okay? That ambulance isn't moving. And so you get a little bottleneck, but COVID has everything in the world to do with it. But also with a lot of those public events and big gatherings, you have accidents. And so you have to respond to that. And then, you have situations, we've had situations and we've had situations where, you know, they said, well, you weren't here. Well, we had one situation where they said, you weren't here and this person passed away. No, we were there. The person signed a form and said they did not request attention. When we left, then it really got bad. Then we went back. So we were there. And so that's why we have to investigate each incident. And I'm not talking about looking at it and saying, well, yeah, yeah, maybe that could have happened. No, we got to know. We got to fix it. The placement of these vehicles is extremely important. How they're dispatched, because when one moves, another is supposed to move halfway to take its place. It's quite complicated, but I think we're finally getting and hitting the rhythm. And we're going to make it work. And I think Anderson County residents are going to be safer. And County Council Chairman Tommy Dunn has mentioned several times these, there were glitches before. There were, it's not like we're, we replaced a system that didn't have no, any problems. No, there were glitches before, and every one of those rescue squads were doing the very best they could. But it is the nature of the beast and the nature of the system that you're going to have glitches. But our goal, now that we have a unified system, is we can spot them, find the weak points, and take corrective action. And there are more, like I said, more vehicles on the road now and assistance times quicker and everything else under uniform. And another thing, and we've talked about this many times, there are 205,000 people in Anderson County now. And, and, and really, if you think about it, from the census, which they cut off really at the end of 98, there's probably another 5,000 here right now because you look at all the subdivisions, and I don't see any vacant houses in any of those subdivisions. And all of the subdivisions that are playing, somebody's moving into those houses, and you try to buy an existing house, and if you don't move quick enough, it's gone in 24 hours. So influx of people, more people moving around, brand new system. But I'm not making excuses about that system. Anything that's wrong is my fault and council's charged and given the, our staff the policy to correct it, and we're gonna do that. You just touched on that. We've talked about it enough, and there's no official numbers in, but some of the towns and cities feel like they were undercounted because of their annexation didn't get in. Well, everybody in the United States, and you, you can imagine doing a census of everybody in the United States of America, and legitimately so people have complaints about it, but you're never gonna get it absolutely perfect. And you know the county, we, we put a lot of time and effort to make sure everybody's counted. And we had a lot of good citizens groups who were out there trying to help us get a good count on it. But you can only do so much. And then some people say, I'm not participating. I'm not going to do it. And, and there's nothing you can do about that. One of the other big things that's popped up is um, the $39 million in the Relief Act funding that council's approved. Explain why that's a big deal and what the county will be able to do going forward with that money. 
Well, this was the, in essence, the first relief package, and every town and every county received money based on population. The first thing that money was supposed to be was to replace money that those entities lost due to COVID. Because, I mean, you know, a lot of places depend on business license or hospitality or accommodations fees, all kinds of fees. Well, when everybody was locked in their houses and, and people couldn't pay taxes because they couldn't work, so just about every town in every county took a hit. A portion of that money goes to replace that so there's not a dip. You don't come back and you slam that on the property owners and saying, well, we had a bad time. So that's what that part of that was. A large portion of that money is we're going to use council. I uh, studied this with the Ad Hoc Sewer Committee, uh, Chairman Sanders, Brett Sanders on that, and look at some basic infrastructure in Anderson County and run some new sewer lines in places where growth will occur, primarily industrial growth, a lot of it near the interstate. Our wastewater treatment plant at 6 and 20 at 81 and 85 is 35 years old, and we're going to redo how that works. But a lot of the things we're going to do, and people don't mention this, is going to make us more environmentally friendly. You have numerous uh, treatment plants, not numerous, but some treatment plants on Lake Hartwell. And they're small, and they're old, and they're aging, and they're in private hands. We're going, with our project going to exit 14, we're going to close all of those little systems up and put it in one system. And I'm proud to say, after many years and months, the town of Pendleton, the town of Clemson, and Anderson County have all signed a memorandum of understanding for us to increase the size of the existing Pendleton wastewater treatment plant. So that's going to be huge for that northern end of the county and coming down Clemson Boulevard. But it's going to make it a safer environment. We're looking to close uh, the uh, sewer treatment plant at La France and put that in our system. So a lot of this is going to, A, increase economic opportunities, but it's also going to be a benefit for the environment. And it's also going to fix our five-mile sewer line, which is the sewer line really which runs all through the middle of town, and that's really the backbone of the sewer system for Anderson County, and we've been able to fix two sections of it, but this is going to allow us to complete it. Plus, we have some projects in the southern part of the county that we need to do, and this is going to give us the money to do that. So a large portion of that money, council in their wisdom decided that that's what we're going to do. Council also decided that in some of the agencies who were really hit hard by COVID. Most nonprofits suffered during the COVID crisis because people didn't have money to volunteer or to give. So one of our big partners has been Anderson Interfaith Ministries, AIM. They have been right there with us, helping us build steps for people who needed handicapped access. They're running our uh, rent program where we try to help people with their rent payments and really get them, make them whole. And so they've stepped up to do that. They've already uh, pushed out over $2 million. And that's $2 million that stays right here in Anderson County. So they've done that. They've also helped us tremendously with food. So council decided to give them an allocation to help them continue doing their good works. Also, you know the free clinic, they had everything perfect and then they had that fire. But they serve such a valuable purpose because they catch the people in between. Water leak. Yeah, but but you ever start there? I just don't want you to say it was a fire. well. It was a water leak and, and not fire, but a water leak yeah. and caused a whole lot of problems. But 
but they get people in, in, in a certain area that don't qualify for this and can't afford this, but they provide medical care, prescription drugs, dental care, so council wanted to help them. Council helps the free clinic every year in the annual budget, but due to COVID, they wanted to help them a little bit more, so they allocated money to them. And then another thing that we have done, uh, the library came up with an excellent idea about trying to do something to address people in Anderson County who don't have good internet connections. So they're going to do a program where they're going to let you check out a mobile hotspot. And it's going to start small, but it's going to be a great program, and we're going to see how that works. And if the library's comfortable, we'll continue, but they're supporting the library in that. And one of the things I think councils really wanted to see, we've, we've looked at transportation issues. Every government in the United States of America looks at transportation issues. We have a lot of industries up at 81 and 85 that are growing and more coming there. More jobs are coming there. I'm, I'm telling you, there are 358 that we haven't even announced that are coming there. But we looked at running a bus line up there. But the buses only run during the day. And the buses don't jee-haw with the schedule at Walgreens or at TTI or Francoche. So what we're going to do, the council is going to do, and we're going to put this in the Development Corporation of Anderson County, Bruce Nelson's the president of that, is we're going to, and we've partnership with Uber, and we will subsidize those rides, not forever, but long enough for somebody to get a job get back and forth to work, and get established, and then they can find their own transportation. So council has allocated out of the relief money $75,000 to see if that works. We're also expecting to receive contributions from industries. The biggest problem that our companies have right now is finding people. We have a huge number of people who want to go to work. They can't get to work. So if we can bridge that gap long enough for them to go to work, get a paycheck, two paychecks, three paychecks, then they can get up on their own. We already have a car dealership who's expressed interest, serious interest, I'm not going to mention that name right now, serious interest, and if you can get these people and they have a regular income, that we will work with them to see if we can't put them in a vehicle. Now, and so... And the program's working really well right now. They've piloted it kind of... Well, we're doing it, but uh, the Mercy Center on South Main right. Council also worked to get them money. Right. Now, they have that, and it's up and running on a small scale. Right. But theirs is, uh, in addition to just the ride, it's also faith-based, and they also do some life skills and things like that. But Council has supported that mission but right there. it showed there, that it would work. Yeah. And it showed it would work. And I know it will work, and it works on your schedule, if you have to go to work on third shift, you can get there now, and you can get back home. And so we just think this is a great, exciting program. I don't know of anybody else in South Carolina who's doing that. I'm familiar with a couple of them on the West Coast. That's where the idea came from. So we're going to see how that works, and I hope it's successful. And I don't want to leave the infrastructure thing. Without proper wastewater sewer treatment, we can't grow. We can't have new houses. We can't have new, we can't, you can't grow you, at all. You can't do anything. You can't do anything. And another thing, what we're hoping to do is take the, another plant and uh, put a place for people to dispose of septic waste. We have lots of people in Anderson County in a septic tank. They have to carry their waste right now to Ware Shoals, South Carolina. They don't carry it, but haulers do. 
and our individual homeowners get socked with a large bill to haul off that septic waste. And so we're looking for a way to help them because right now there's no place in Anderson County for that for them to take that. Now, if you live in the Rewa territory, you can take it to Greenville, but that still costs. They need something, the county needs something for people to have septic tanks so they can be serviced too. Speaking of growth, uh, Pelzer just announced a major growth project today. We had a wonderful meeting in Pelzer, and I'd like to thank uh, Councilwoman Cindy Wilson, who's championed that for time immemorial. Uh, Steve Newton, who works here with us, has been a champion on that. Uh, Gail Jeter with Cardinal has been a champion on that. And an uh, interesting thing, I knew Leon Harmon before he became the county attorney because Leon was working for a law firm, and he was really the prime, one of the prime movers on the PCB settlement money. So that's how I got to meet Leon. But while I was talking to Leon, Leon has a big heart, and the people in Pelzer needed some legal advice. So Leon, not while he was working for the county, volunteered his time for free to help them get started, and they recognized his, his huge contribution. But they announced two housing developments and uh, the Biscuit and Beer Brewery and Restaurant. And the husband of the husband and wife team, the wife grew up in Pelzer and moved to New York, and she wanted to come home. So she's going into the old mill office at the Pelzer Mill where her mother worked until she retired. And the husband was on the Today Show two weeks ago because they were spotlighting black-owned businesses in New York City, and he was on there. So, and they're coming home, as they say, and they're going to open that up, and I think it's going to be a huge success right there on the river. And all of this is right there on the river. So you're going to have senior living apartments. You're going to have uh, affordable homes, cottages overlooking the river. It's, it's, and I think that's just the springboard, but it's taken a long time to get to that point, but I think it's going to be fabulous. And there's a gentleman over there, Larry Coker, and Mr. Coker has worked harder than any seven people. Started off with him and his Pelzer Heritage Group, and Mr. Coker's had some health issues, but that man is a saint and a legend, and he was there today to see what he started, and it, it was just a blessing. Is Pelzer, West Pelzer, Williamson going to be the next Piedmont Powdersville? Uh, the mayor of Williamston was there today, Rocky, and Rocky has about 900 houses going up in Williamston. Not, not in one place. If I'm remembering correctly from talking to him today in three different places. And he's also working real hard on the interior trail system in Williamston and tying it into Pelzer and West Pelzer. And so they're going gangbusters over there. And he was hoping to have his pickleball courts up, but they had to do something with the soil. So they've already allocated the money for that. So hopefully, I think he said by next spring, there'll be new pickleball courts in Williamston. And as you know, there are not enough pickleball courts in the United States of America. As fast as you build them, they're in constant use. And this is unusual to have three towns that work that closely together. I, I don't remember those three ever working that closely together. No, no, no. I've been around here a long time, and I knew when you go from one town to the other, you might as well carry a gun. But they work very well together. You have some bright wills. The mayor of Pelzer's bright and dedicated, wants to do good things. 
Blake, the mayor of West Pelzer, he works as hard as he can. Rockies works as hard as he can. And they know the benefit of cooperation. If it's good for one, it's good for all of them. What about Piedmont and Powdersville? What, what are we looking at there? Because their growth is just un, almost well, unmanaged. Well, and... well when, when they kick off the downtown Piedmont project, and some of the other developments that they have working in that area, that area is going to go blow. It's going to blow fast. But I was talking to the mayor of Belton, Eleanor Dorn. She's a fantastic lady. She has three new subdivisions going to Belton. And uh, Alicia Hunter, who is our land use guru, boss, head of everything, is working with Belton. But three new subdivisions in Belton, they all want to annex into the city limits, and that's just a blessed event. It is just wonderful. And it's getting towards Honeyapath, and I think, A, it's coming that way, the riverway to Belton and Honeyapath, and I think Iva, down in that direction, it's going to come straight down that Main Street Road right, right there and go there and hit there, and you can already begin to see it. And Pendleton cleaning up the oil mill. They're they're cleaning the up the oil new... mill right now. They're working today to take that oil mill down. Give the mayor and the council a whole lot of credit for that. They have stuck with that. They've wrestled with that. And you know, people always say, "Well, why don't you just go tear it down?" Well, a wonder if you don't own it. B wonder if the person doesn't cooperate. Okay, now we're going to tear down the oil mill. Oh, did you know it, it was fertilizer plant for 152 years? You know what they make bombs with? They make it out of fertilizer. So it's not that easy, but. The, they're tearing it down today. And uh, several people mentioned, uh, Burris has mentioned, y'all got some more big announcements coming. We do. Okay. I mean, you don't have to say who they are, but what kind of things are we looking at? Oh, uh, we have a, a company that's going to hire hundreds of people, logistics operation. We have more spec buildings coming up. We have a lot of new jobs coming up. One of uh, our Sync MD, uh, which is in our incubator, at our TTI facility, or our facility, the old TTI facility, is written up in Yahoo News today. And uh, a huge article about Sync MD. Right here, they moved from Washington State to Anderson County. They're in our building while they get up and running here. And so that's just great. And it says, we moved, this is in Yahoo National, okay? We moved from there to Anderson, and it's wonderful, and everybody's helping us, and it's great. And TTI is more expansion out there. We just talked more about. expansion. We'll have another meeting with them, I think, next week. How many um, acres are they adding out there? Well, I think just recently they've added 120, and I think they want to get some more. And I know that they need to do some road work out there. That's what we'll be, we'll be meeting with them about next week. So that's going to be very exciting. Anything else in economic development coming between now and the holidays? Oh yeah. Nothing oh, yeah. we can talk about yet. Nothing we can talk about. But right. yes, it's guaranteed. It's 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 in the bank. But we have to be conscious of when they want to announce. Right. And it's for business reasons, competitor reasons, and all of those things. But we know. I mean, they've already bought land. We know it's going to happen. They had celebrated Anderson a few weeks ago. That went, You had a good crowds for that. We what else a, is going had, on at the Civic Center? We had a huge crowd. Well, it, every day something's going on at the Civic Center, whether it's a gun show. Uh, James Gregory's coming back to the Civic Center. We've got something I'm excited about, a Celtic Christmas show that's coming out there. I'm looking forward to that. I watched some of the stuff they did. I think that's going to be great. And uh, I think that more events are coming to the Civic Center, musical events. It's used every day, and people don't realize that for all types of different purposes, consignment sales, gun shows, uh, just rent it for training. The Brick Council's been coming here for years. They're going to eat it up for a solid week. So 
that building gets a whole lot easier. I don't know what we would do if we didn't have it. And the county's got somebody you've hired to market those to try to get more accent. People yes. don't realize they're trying to. Yeah, we're doing that. But you also have to remember, that's just now getting cranked back up, uh, artists out on the road. But right. I think it's coming full force. And if you listen to the national news, the COVID is, again, in a decline. I'm not saying this is you're at the top of the mountain, it may be right here, but it seems like that may be easing off. So we're hoping so. And right there on that property, Kid Venture, uh, where are we at on that? Uh, we're fixing, we're probably a day or two away from releasing the Kid Venture plans for bid. And that is going to be huge. Kid Venture is beloved and has been used for a lot of years. But it's time to do Kid Venture, not 2.0, but 3.0. And we're looking forward to that. And we've already started, well, I will say we've already started. We're about to start, if it hadn't been raining, on our new uh, basketball slash soccer development down at Wellington Park. And I'm just as excited about that as I'm excited about we are almost at the end of cleaning up the Viva Tire site. Uh, the grass is pretty and green down there. We have one more building to take down, but that building is highly contaminated. We were able to secure additional money to clean up that building, and we're going to take it down, and it's just going to be a beautiful meadow. Nobody's going to go there. Nobody's going to trash it ever again. It's just going to be a natural area. We're also excited that the uh, Homeland Park Fire Department, that their new fire department's up, County uh, Councilman Davis, and Councilman Dunn contributed a large amount of money to help them do some work down there. We've also been down in Homeland Park, uh, Councilman Dunn's area, to do some uh, tree removal and grading for the new water office that's going in Homeland Park. So we've got something happening just about everywhere. After we get over the grand opening of the airport terminal, the next thing we're going to be doing is getting ready to put a playground out there and it's gonna be an aviation-themed playground. But because we're putting it where we always thought we would, it's already handicapped accessible, it's already flat, and so most of that money's gonna go in equipment and not in the necessary work you usually have to do to do that. So we're really excited about that. that and the playground is sort of the brainchild of the manager because he grew up playing out there and there was nowhere to play. There's nowhere to play, and so he wants to correct that. So we're, we're going to do that, and we're $125,000 closer to that goal because of two wonderful individuals. And for citizens who don't you know, use the Anderson Airport, explain why there's so much time and resources are being put into that facility. Well, because we have a lot of corporate traffic. And people don't realize that, but it's corporate traffic that comes to Anderson, but also corporate traffic that goes to Clemson, and a lot of it right across the river in Georgia. That Nestle plane servicing those plants, those dog food plants over there in Georgia, they probably fly in more than anybody. And when they fly in, they buy fuel. And that's why we run the airport on the sale of jet fuel. That airport doesn't receive taxpayer subsidies. It is an enterprise fund. And of course, we do some special projects out there, but to keep it running. And we also, as you know, the county got out of the maintenance business, and we have selected a private aircraft company to do that. So that is a private enterprise out there. They pay us rent, but everything else is on them. So things are going really good at the airport, but it is a focal point. And, and I, everybody says, well, it's your front porch. I'm sorry, but in a lot of cases, it is your front porch. If I'm coming from Washington to start a computer company, I'm not driving, I'm flying. 
And so it's good. Plus, as we've said a thousand times, every Clemson University team except the football team flies out of that airport, and 90% of the people who are coming to play Clemson fly into that airport. So that's a big chunk of business, and all people need fuel. Also, air cargo is important. That's where we make bank. When certain industries have supply problems and they start flying in those jets, those cargo jets, we love to see that. We get real excited about that. And as usual, we have the usual blimp traffic. We had the Video Music Awards blimp out there last week. We don't know when they're coming, but, you know, we look up and, they, well, there's the Video Music Award blimp at the Anderson County Airport. And Donaldson Center sends helicopters over to train and stuff. They send, they send helicopters over here, and because of that, they'll have a helicopter over here this week. And we'll have some military displays, too, this week. Back at the Civic Center, how often do y'all get updates on the track that's going to run from the Civic Center to AnMed's 81 campus walk track across the parkway? I'll, I'll go out there and look at it. I'll go out there and look at that it. That end down toward the Civic Center is huge progress right now. Yeah, the biggest thing down there, is, and, that's, and, and the primary effort was to start there. The biggest thing right there is building that bridge. And you can look at that. That's not a simple bridge. And that's going to turn into the, to the Civic Center, but then we're going to pick it up and push it a little bit further into the Civic Center. So I'd say maybe 20%, 25% complete. I think by next year they'll start on the other end of it? I think they'll be, I think they're gonna make a whole lot of progress. They're already doing a little bit on the other end. But now we have uh, Councilman John Wright, and our council's always thinking of, of things to make Anderson better. And Councilman John Wright's met with the uh, mayor of Clemson, and they've had some discussions and we've had some discussions, but one of the ideas is percolating. You know, Clemson has an ambitious trail program. They're gonna run from Clemson to Southern Wesleyan University and to Pendleton. And the city of Anderson has an ambitious trail program. So why don't we run a trail from the city of Anderson to Sandy Springs, to La France, to Clemson? And the political leaders are thinking about that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think that would be a great, great thing for our area. I know um, you mentioned John Wright, and he's working with, uh, you know, with his uh, colleagues on city council to have law enforcement things. He's trying to get more city and county cooperative efforts together because he's friends when they both want it. Yep. Well, we, we have the we, Law Enforcement Appreciation Day coming yep, up. That's coming up, and a lot of people are buying tables to support that. That's going to be a wonderful event to support city and county law enforcement officers, and I know a lot of our council members are going to be attending that, and that's going to be a great event. But that's something he and Kyle Newton are doing because they want to do it, and that's wonderful. And it's going to hopefully lead to other efforts, including maybe a festival or something together, because it, you know it's it's getting those individuals that are connected to get this kind of stuff done. Well, those are two young leaders, and they have a lot on the ball. What about the dog park at uh, Paws? Getting close, getting very very close. It's not there yet, but it's getting very close. Be open by the end of the year. Oh, it'll be open by the end of the year. If we hadn't been having this rain, we might be a month away. Might be a month away. And as you know, not to beat, continue to beat this up, but we've received $400,000. Uh, Councilman Jimmy Davis has worked real hard on Dolly Cooper and kept Representative Westcox and uh, New Spring has chipped in 50000 So we've got 400000 more dollars going into that. We're looking to build pickleball courts at Hurricane Springs Park. That's a big item on Councilman Davis's list. 
and going over to Tommy Dunn's district, if you go to Green Pond, the amphitheater's almost finished, and you can see the dock. The dock is probably 25% complete, and you can see what that's going to do. Well, I mean, but you take this well, Tell people why that dock's being built there, because somebody asked me the other day. That dock's being built there, so when you can pull up that dock, you take the fish, you run up to the amphitheater, boom, they're there, and then they're back in the water. That's why it's built there. But that amphitheater's also there. That amphitheater's not just for fishing. That amphitheater is going to be available for weddings. It's going to have concerts out there. And we're looking to when we can have our first concert that the county would sponsor to kind of prime the pump. We'd like a private individual to do it. But that is going to be really successful. But let's what about the elephant pen downtown? Uh, we don't have any elephants yet. Don't have any elephants, but what we're going to do to get ready for the elephants is I think going out in the next day or two is our project to plant grass there. And so hopefully... When we do have the elephants, they will have something to eat. How quickly could we get grass over there? Do you know? I'm not a grass expert. You go look at my yard and you will find out that I know nothing about grass. But we are asking trained professionals to do it. Well, as we sit here, we're less than 60 days away. Tell people about the unofficial tree lighting. That's, the, that's when we always light the Christmas tree, the, th the Thanksgiving weekend, that Thursday. And people are sick of me saying this, but a lot of folks come home to visit Anderson during Thanksgiving and then may not come Christmas because they may have, you know, we're your, we're your folks for Thanksgiving, we're going to my folks for Christmas. You know how all that works. So we light it up that Thursday and we keep it lit that weekend, then it goes off and then we have the big formal Christmas tree lighting with all of the events. And I'm really excited. A week later, yeah. A week later and I'm really excited about that and I've probably said this before, but... We have reached out to the Pelzer Light people, and they will be here. And if you've never seen the Pelzer Light people, they only perform in Pelzer, but this is going to be a special performance right here when we light the Christmas tree. And I think that will add, add a lot of fun to it. The 41-foot Christmas tree. 41-foot Christmas tree. We're inching in on, on you, Rockefeller Center. One other thing, and I want, don't want to end this on a sad note, but, but just something needs to be said. Uh... Former Councilman Francis Crowder, one of our former chairmen, passed away. And council on Tuesday night, because he was so worked so hard on the East-West Parkway and fought so hard for that park on the East-West Parkway, council is going to name the park after Mr. Crowder. And I think that's a fitting tribute for something he put his heart and soul into, and it will be there to remind people that he did that. The Is there going to be an event for that? or? would probably just, just do it because we had an event here in the council chamber. The other thing, uh, Dan Durham, who was the head of the Pelzer Rescue Squad forever and a day, and a really great man. I like to say he's one of the last of the straight shooters. He was also a colonel in the Army Reserves. Uh, he was big in his church. Just about anything you can say good he was involved in. And uh, council recognized his many achievements and just wanted to say that two great men have gone on to do greater things in other places. It's time for some other citizens to step up. Hey, younger generations, it's time to step up. And we've got them coming up. We've got them coming up. So I'm just really pleased about that. There is so much development in the county and in the towns, it's almost a blur to keep up with. As the towns grow, so does the need for services, and they are finding different ways to deal with those individual needs. Over in Pendleton, uh, Mayor Frank Crenshaw, who I've known my entire life, Frank and I grew up together, said the major sewer project uh, deal with Anderson County and Clemson will facilitate growth there. He is also pleased that the demolition of the old 
falling down all oil mills on the edge of town is finally underway. And here's what Frank had to say about what's going on in Pendleton. Frank, let's talk about what's been going on at Pendleton uh, since last time we talked. How did the summer go here over, over, over Pendleton? The summer went really well. Um, we've had a lot of positive things going on. Um, we've got, uh, we were able recently, we landed a huge grant that's going to help us out. It's uh, about half a million dollars. We're going to spend that improving the uh, West Queen Street area and North Mechanic Street. We have a streetscape project we're doing there and it's kind of a continuation of the downtown master plan here, but it's gonna really take that area to a whole new level, I believe. So we've got that going on. Uh, another thing too that a lot of people have been concerned about, including myself, uh, that we're very, very proud of is that the oil mill is coming down now. It's been dismantled and it's been done in a really good way in that they're recycling everything that's there. They're not just, just burying it somewhere or, throw it in the landfill, they're, they're recycling all the metal, they're selling the wood that's there. Uh, even, I'm understanding, even the old cottonseed press got sold, and so it'll be uh, preserved and maintained, so that's a good thing. Even down to the concrete blocks that are there are gonna be ground up and reused again for gravel, so that's a really good thing. That should be down. Their timeline on that is about six months. So really? I was going to ask you, it, it should be, coming in, they were moving yeah, stuff out. It should be all the way to the ground in about six months. And of course, that whole area over there, we're going to see a drastic change when that happens. And we've got the uh, old Shaney Brothers uh, cotton mill, which is just just down behind it there, really. And that is uh, over there on what, you know, what we've always called the mill hill. But that whole area is going to be uh, changing a lot, too. There's going to be a lot of improvements made over there in the infrastructure, the roads, everything else, because all that's going to get developed into some really nice housing over there. So we've got all of that going and, you know, last, another thing that we've got, and this is uh, going to be great, I think everybody's looking forward, we're going to have a new Ingalls coming in out here on 76 at the intersection of 187 and 76. And we continue to see, you know, a good bit of uh, growth coming in. Uh, our restaurants, everything, we're doing well here, you know. Just about all the buildings downtown here are full. We've got a, a, a couple that aren't. Yeah, I was talking about, uh, yeah, most most of the buildings we have here downtown are, are full right now, so that's good. Uh, we've only got a couple that aren't, and uh, so we're, we're doing really well with the downtown. The restaurants are doing real well, and the shops, and so on. And uh, we've still got another restaurant that's being built over here right now uh, in a, a, a prior location that used to be what they call the Curlis Company here. That one uh, should be going by the first of the year. I think February is their target date to have that restaurant up and going. It's uh, called be called Rains, and that'll that'll be going. But to say we got the new English coming, we, we got a lot of good things, a lot of positive things. Um, and uh, the streetscape's kind of underway still, right? Streetscape's still underway. Yeah, we're like I said, we'll be doing the North Mechanic Street, West Queen Street streetscape, and another. Uh, Another big thing coming up really to think about here is uh, on the fun side of things, and I look at it as a lot of fun, is uh, the fall festival we have every year. So that'll be on October the 9th. That's always a lot of fun. We have the Scarecrow competition, which everybody loves to participate in. And uh, we'll have a lot of just fun with games. and We'll have a lot of vendors here, you know, craft vendors and other type of vendors and music and food and, you know, you need to come by if you can. It'll be just a great time. We'll have a lot of fun with that. And scarecrows will be up for a while, right? Yeah, they'll be up for a while. And, uh, you know, everybody gets excited about competing and winning the contest. And um, 
it's a lot of fun. Draws a lot of people in. Everybody loves looking at them. That's probably our second biggest festival, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thing. without a doubt, it's huge. Yeah. And then y'all got the tree lighting will be right after that, hurdle to believe. Yep, tree lighting right after that. And uh, hopefully this year things are a little better. We'll be able to have it. So uh, I think everybody's looking forward to that, too. When's the parade schedule? Uh, I don't have the date yet. Um, but uh, it, it, uh, it, it'll be a great time too, and hopefully the weather will be good and we'll uh, have some fun with that. What do y'all have looking out for between now and the end of the year other than events, Frank? What's the council working on? What are you working on? Well, you know, we're constantly working on trying to make things better, and uh, we're trying to, you know, target things that we need to do. Um, some of it would be things like the oil mill, and now that that's kind of being taken care of, then we can focus on some other things. Uh, we, you know, we have other dilapidated structures that we need to pay attention to, and parking is a big concern right now, especially in the downtown, because as uh, we grow downtown and we have more restaurants, we're bringing in more people here, we've got to have more places for them to park. So we're working on that. Uh, we're fixing to spend some money in that direction, and, uh, and we're also uh, going to try to utilize some of the areas we have now that we aren't utilizing even on street some we have areas on street that we could park people at but they're not marked off or anything we may need to do a little asphalt work there things like that to bring that up standard and I, we're fixing to get another parking lot here close in downtown which will help alleviate that situation and uh, we're going to definitely have to address the parking issue that's a big one for sure so that's 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 something that's going to be huge at it and then you know there's just the day-to-day -day stuff another important thing which is kind of a thing you don't think about and people don't see but we're working with uh, anderson county and the city of clemson we just uh, signed a, a, a memorandum of understanding with them uh, having to do with our waste treatment facilities so we're uh, glad to have them as partners moving forward and uh, as growth comes you have to have more capacity in your waste treatment facility and uh, it's great to have uh, the county and, and the city of Clemson working with us on that. And so we're fortunate to have them uh, helping us do that. Y'all have a lot of demand for housing. A lot of people wanting to build new houses up here. Yeah, the whole area, you know, Pendleton, sure. And then just the whole area around here. I think Pendleton and surrounding areas here, you're going to see a lot of growth as time goes on. Um, I don't, you know, it just doesn't seem to be any end to it. Uh, as uh, we had talked about, you know, in my business, we have shortages of a lot of products. and. Uh, uh, you know, I, a lot of it's just due to the extreme amount of demand for products. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to continue to see that, and it appears to be there's no end in sight to this building trend that's going on right now. And how are y'all, I know there's challenges with it as well, but with, you know, y'all, in the last few years, y'all have almost doubled the size of the city. Yeah. How, how is that going to, is that going to help budgets here coming along as we go? Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely going to help us increase our tax base without raising taxes. So we're, uh, we're hoping to be able to use that money to provide better services because there are still a lot of things we need to be doing better. And uh, we uh, hopefully will get there, but uh, having that extra money coming in is going to be a huge help in that regard. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a challenge you know but it's, it, it's it's a big challenge too to keep the small town atmosphere here and not get too overwhelmed by the growth uh, we need to be sure that we're getting quality growth and be a be as selective as possible uh, with what's coming in here too because we don't want uh, to, to do anything that was is going to jeopardize 
the small town atmosphere and the historical nature of the town of Pendleton, because that's what makes it special. People come here for a reason because this is a special place, and that's the reason I'm here. I love this place. And again, Pendleton is managing managing to grow without changing the nature of the historic downtown, which is a rare thing. If you've been there, you know the vacant lots are the same vacant lots that were there in the 60s. And even the town square, even though the names on the buildings are different, it looks very similar. Uh, meanwhile, in Belton, new housing projects, new investment and businesses are underway. And Mayor Eleanor Dorn is pleased with the progress that's going on there. Since the last time we talked, you've gone from being an interim mayor to the official mayor. Yes, sir. Have you noticed any difference at all? Not really. Not really. But it's, You're it's, already doing all the mayoral stuff. Right, and, right. That's, so it's, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm honored to be here. And we talked a lot. We won't go into that because we talked about it last time a lot. But how, how has the community uh, responded to having the trail and, and everything over there? It's been a great success. It's I, I love riding by it and walking on it and seeing everything that's going on in that area of town. So it's it's really been obviously a huge asset to us, and I'm so proud of it. And people are using it a lot. Oh yeah, there. oh yeah. Even the wildlife use it. Well, let's let's kind of recap what else ever has happened over the summer here in Belton. Well, we um, we have hired a new police chief. Um, that's that's been a big thing for us. We're real excited about it. So we've 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 got all of our department heads in place now, and good strong department heads, and we're excited about the future of Belton. And he, of course, he was not a stranger either. Right, right. He, he was. He I, was. He was interim also. Right. So um, he 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 did what he needed to do when he got appointed as interim and, and, and impressed us all. So we're we're giving him that duty. What else has been going on the last few months here in Belton? Well, we're in the process of changing all of our water meters out. It's a $1.1 million job. We're, hopefully we'll be paying for it with, with um, ARP money, the majority of it with that. So that's that's been a big deal. That will um, save us a lot of money in the future. Um, we're real excited to get that project um, on up and running. You know, what what will that mean to the citizens? How will they notice anything different? Well, it will allow us to really, um, it'll be computer driven. So if they have a leak, we'll probably catch it before they do. It'll, it, it'll kind of track your house and anything abnormal, it'll tell us first. So we can probably reach out to you and let you know, hey, you might have a toilet running before you even realize it. So little things like that, or leaks around the town that are hard to to find, this system will help us pinpoint those quicker. So water loss will, is, is, will be a huge advantage to us, or finding those water losses. And what else has been going on this summer? Have y'all pretty much, uh, I know it's, it's spiking again now, but trying to deal with the virus and all, is that still an issue? We have been very lucky as far as um, our employees here in the city. We, we have not been hit. You know, I think we've maybe had one employee. And we're fortunate with that. Um, it's, you know, our numbers are a little bit skewed, I think, when you get your 29627 numbers because there's 18,000 that live under the 29627 zip code. Zip code. But the city is actually, you know, about 4,800 people. So it's hard to know if it's actually in the city or not. You know, it is, but the exact number is hard to pinpoint from that. But just from the community, I mean, it is there, but 
nothing's had to be shut down that I know of locally. Of course, City Hall has not had to shut down, so right now I think we're doing okay. Keeping our fingers crossed. What else news happened this summer that people might have missed or not thought about? Well, um, the administrator and myself have had um, several meetings with some developers who are very interested in coming in and annexing and bringing in some new subdivisions, so we're really excited about that. We're definitely in the preliminary stages, but I feel like this is going to happen, so that, that's going to be a huge boost to us. What new businesses? Um, we, we have the coffee shop that's open, and they, they keep having little two steps forward and one step back, you know, Fortunately, it's not one and two back, but they're trying to get there. We've got that one started. Um, we've had um, two recent ribbon cuttings, uh, a hair salon product retail store over behind Hardy's. She opened um, Jess Fit Club. She does protein shakes and those protein waffles and Zumba classes. She recently had a, a ribbon cutting, so we've had a few openings. Wasn't there some kind of company that made auto parts or some? Well, they're, they're, it, that's parts box. They don't make them, but they tear they, they down. They find them, yeah. And right. They, they, the high-end they vehicles. Mm -hmm. You they're want to just mention them? Just, right. just tell me a little bit about that. There's, there's another auto company that refits auto something. Explain that to me. Yes, I'm sorry. it's parts box, and what they do is, um, the best I can understand it, is they have high-end vehicles come in, like, like Lamborghinis, that have been, by insurance purposes, written off. So they ship them here, they strip them down to just parts, and then they store them in their warehouse, and if somebody in New York or wherever needs a part to a Lamborghini, they can have it shipped there. So the, the parts are good, you know, the whole vehicle is not, but as the parts are, so it's pretty interesting business. Yeah, you wouldn't think if you were in New York and had a Lamborghini, you'd be getting in touch with Belton right, to, right. to get something fixed. So that, that's um, we're excited to have them here. So they're they're slowly expanding and um, they're they're up and running. Um, our facade grant program that we've had running, we've had eight applicants so far, and that's going really well. And um, still open to have a few more in if they're out there. But eight eight will be a good good lick for downtown. Get the storefronts fresh and ready so we're excited about that the fall sports are going on through the rec department we have girls volleyball which is kind of unique to a small town able to do that because of the rec center um, football and soccer so those are all up and running and games should start next week did the census tell y'all anything i mean i know it's still unofficial but not not yet not yet not that i've been given anything else over the summer people might have um we had the tennis tournament went went real well. Um, had great weather for the tournament, so we got that done. It's probably as far as events go that that's that covers the summer. Well, the summer was really fast. Yeah, it really was. And we're moving into. I know it's a busy time for Belton going into the fall. Y'all have a lot of stuff going on. Remind people what all is coming up here in Belton. Well, our our big event coming up is the Stampipe Festival, which includes several different things. The kickoff for the Stampipe Festival will be September 25th at the Art Center. They have a their annual Jurid Art Show, which is an outstanding art show, and it'll they'll have a reception at 7 o'clock. It's really nice, and then the show will, will continue through November the 5th. And then on um, October the 1st, our Heritage Days at the museum will be there. 
They have the artisans and the historical reenactors. Typically that day is for the school students to come and see, and, and they will not be able to come again this year in person, but they're going to do it virtually. And then it'll be open to the public, of course, on the day of the Stampipe Festival. And then that day is full of fun. Um, it starts at 11 in the morning. Um, Margaret Haney, our local girl, she'll sing the national anthem. We'll welcome everybody to town. The Duncan booth starts. I'll be the first in the Duncan booth. And then um, the day will we'll start from there. We have a car show from 10 to 3. Uh, Margaret will perform again at 4. She'll be here from 4 to 6. Um, real proud of her for that. And then our headliner is Clay Page from 6 to 8. But, of course, we'll have vendors here and just things to do all day long. So that, that's the Stampipe Festival. And then on Monday, October the 18th, we will be naming our kayak launch site and having a ribbon cutting. The name will be unveiled that day. We're real excited about that. And that'll be um, October the 18th at 4 o'clock. It's a secret. It's a secret. But is I think everybody it, it named like after it. somebody you know? Maybe. Maybe not. So it's a secret. It's a secret. <laughs> well, as always, our nonprofits are always busy doing events and having fun things for the town to do. And um, the museum will be having a ghost walk on October the 28th at 6 o'clock. That's always been a lot of fun. And then our art center is having a holiday market on um, November the 18th and it's uptown and they just invite all kinds of vendors and crafters in and they it's a great place to Christmas shop food you know all, all, all kinds of things so that they're busy with that and any any updates on the South Carolina Natural Museum of Natural History or are they still looking we for have a site not or? given I think they are I have not been given a report on that as of late so then moving ahead, I guess the next thing is uh, Christmas Parade. When's the Christmas we'll Parade in Christmas Boston this year? We'll have the Christmas Parade on December 4th, probably around 3.30, and getting ready for that, too. Gosh, hard to believe it's <laughs> we're talking about Christmas, mm -hmm. but it's here. So now that everything's up and running, if, if people want to keep up with all this, y'all are, are keeping, is it website, Facebook? Where's the best place for people to keep up with Belton? Um, probably Facebook and website. I mean, we, we hit both of them. We know not everybody does Facebook, so we try and get as much information as we can on both sites. Belton, as she mentioned, has a new police chief. That's Ross Ritchie, and he has already been serving there as interim, and he's now the official police chief, and he really enjoys working in Belton, and he had this to say about policing um, a small tell town. Tell where you're from, and uh, we'll just go from there. Well, I was born and raised in Cowan Falls. Uh, it's a small town in Abbeville County. Um, when I was growing up, it was a town of pretty much only one red light. Uh, you know, it was an industrial town. Uh, textiles was our, our main uh, source of, of jobs, and that was the main source for the town's tax revenue, those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, born and raised there. I'm a 2006 graduate of Cowan Falls High School and uh, played sports there, played uh, high school baseball and uh, football. And how long have you, did you always know you were going to be interested in law enforcement? How did you get interested in law enforcement? Well, um, growing up, one of my favorite shows was Cops. Uh, and then, you know, you had uh, Emergency 911. And uh, I'm a big, big fan of Andy Griffith. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, you know, law enforcement has always been one of those things that was intriguing for me. Um, 
you know, I was always considered the military as well, which I never did. Um, so uh, law enforcement was the next best thing for me. And so how'd you get involved in law enforcement? Well, in 2009, I started my career um, with the uh, South Carolina Department of Corrections, um, a correctional institution. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of times agencies have a hard time hiring uncertified people due to budgetary issues and those, type, those types of things. So uh, I seen an opportunity with uh, the Department of Corrections. And so I went there and while I was working for the Department of Corrections, I submitted a couple of applications and resumes to, to other full-time class one law enforcement agencies. And uh, one day Charles Goodwin, Sheriff of Abbeville County, gave me a call and offered me a job. So I started my career as a class one law enforcement officer with Abbeville County Sheriff's Office. A class one officer has full arrest powers um, in, their, in their jurisdiction. Um, so essentially it just means we have full arrest powers of enforcing all laws. You have different, different classifications of, of certifications, but um, to, to be a, a sworn law enforcement officer to make arrest powers, um, you have to be a class one through South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy. So where'd you go from there? Well, when I left Abbeville County Sheriff's Office, I, I spent a real short stint with the city of Honeypath, uh, the town of Honeypath. Uh, I was there for a really minute amount of time, it was a couple of months, and then I left there and went to Anderson County Sheriff's Office under uh, John Skipper was a sheriff at the time there. And I left Abbeville, uh, Anderson County Sheriff's Office and went back to Abbeville County under uh, Sheriff Ray Watson. And then from there, you got came to here? Is that the next? Or you got another move in there somewhere? There was one more small move in there. Um, that's not unusual in law enforcement. I mean, when I've talked to people, people seem to, you know, that's not a real unusual path for people to go multiple no, places. No, well, I mean, it's, it's not something that you want to make a habit of. You don't, you don't want to make a habit of jumping around a whole lot, but... Um, you know, when opportunities present themselves that you think is going to be beneficial for you and especially with your uh, career progression and, you know, some of your larger agencies um, have more opportunities for career progression than others. Um, so, you know, I left when I left Abbeville County for the second time, um, I had intentions of trying to finish my degree. And so I took a uh, school resource officer position with the, the town of Iva Police Department. And so I, I spent a short time as a school resource officer at Star Island Middle School there, and then I left there and came here. And so you've been here how long now? I'm in my third year. My third year with the city of Belton, yes. And you mentioned Mayberry. Is, is it like being the sheriff of Mayberry here in Belton, or you've got more <laughs> serious crimes to deal with? Well, it's a little bit more serious than, than, uh, than Mayberry. Uh, you know, we have to deal with more things than a loaded goat and... and, uh, and um, Otis, uh, I, if it was that simple, then we would, we would be, we would be doing okay. Um, but no, we, we, our crimes vary, uh, in severity. I mean, we have everything from homicide to, to petty theft. Um, you know, it's one of those things to where, uh, we're in a central part of the county where, you know, we're the second largest municipality outside the city of Anderson. And so we're between Greenville and Anderson. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of our, you know, narcotics traffic and stuff tries to come through Belton, get into the interstates and, and, uh, other major highways and those sorts of things. So a lot of ours filters in from people trying to get place to place in the larger cities. And how, how big is your force here? We have 13 currently, uh, that's myself included. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, 
it is 10 officers uh, for road patrol assignments, and then we also have three school resource officers. You touched on this just a second ago, but what are the challenges? What are some of the big challenges y'all face? Because this is a growing area, too. It is, uh, and one of our biggest challenges, I think, is probably uh, the number of calls versus the amount of officers that we have. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, we recently pulled some statistics from uh, Anderson County's telecommunication centers for our responses last year, and even during a, a COVID year, uh, we responded to around 8,600 calls. That's a lot of calls for 13 people. That is a lot of calls for 13 people. And keep in mind, uh, three of those uh, nine months out of the year is is assigned to a school. So uh, it, it is a lot of calls for, for 10 officers, yes. Well, and you get a lot of people, I mean, before we started here, somebody just wandered in wanting to get updates on something. Do you get a lot of that just, they feel like they just can walk in and is that part of being in a small town chief? It is, and, and we want to keep that. We want to keep that feel that, you know, we have open door policies. Um, we, want, we want to bridge the gap between uh, the community of all demographics. Um, we want them to feel welcome here at the Belton Police Department because, you know, we serve all people. And so, you know, we, we welcome walk-ins here. Um, you know, being a smaller agency, as the chief of police, I get to interact with the public more than some of your larger agencies, which I think is uh, really beneficial. Um, because, you know, like Sheriff, Sheriff McBride and uh, other larger agencies, you know, they may not have time to uh, to interact with the public as much as they would like. And I'm sure that uh, Sheriff McBride and, and, and Chief Stewart at larger agencies, they would love to be able to sit down with someone and just walk in and talk. But they have such a large area to cover and so much more personnel to handle. So I think it's a real good benefit to be able to interact with the public as much as we do. You've been interim here for a while now, right? Uh, the week that they formally, uh, offered me the full-time position, I had been doing it for seven weeks. That's great. And do you feel like you have good support from your council and administration and all here in Belton? Absolutely. Absolutely. And how important is that when you're a sheriff? Well, I mean, it's, it's obviously important. Um, you know, you have to have that relationship and, you know, they, they can only do what they can do. Um. You know, we only get so much revenue, and you know, when when budgets are are divvied out, then you know, and approved, we only have what we have. And so, the thing I really like about it is the open line of communication between myself, the mayor, and the city manager, and the council, um, because you know it's all about compromise. Um, I may bring a proposal to the table, they bring a proposal to the table, and if we can both leave happy, then I think that's what it's all about. What about uh, your family here? Is your family here? Or? Well, my wife is a uh, a native of Belton, and and so are my in laws. They've they've been here their entire. Tell life. people who they are, just in case people are watching. Well, my in laws are Ricky and Christy Jennings, and my, and my wife is Haley, and they are like I said, they're natives of, of Belton. They've been here their entire life. My wife's a graduate of BHP High School, and so is my father in law. Yeah. So they're probably thrilled that you're new police chief here. They are. They are. And it, I mean, it's a great opportunity. Um, you know, it's, it's, Belton is a great place to, to raise a family, work, and, and live. It really is. And what if somebody came up and just wanted to get to know you? What, what are some things people would want to know about you? What are your hobbies? You just mentioned to me, tell you about your football preferences and all this. <laughs> tell some people some things about you that they might not know normally there, Ross. Well, I, I, you know, I try to be a very approachable person. Uh, if someone sees me out in the community, just just come up and speak. And, 
you know, I love, I love to have a conversation. And a lot of, a lot of what we do as law enforcement to begin with is, is educational. Um, you know, a lot of people have pre misconceptions of what they think something is that, you know, we want to, we want to try to get some clarity for them. And so, you know, the biggest thing is if you see me out in the community, or if you see any of my officers out in the community, um, interact with them. Uh, and that's, that's the only way we're ever going to bridge the gap between, uh, our community and our law enforcement. Um, but as far as me, I, I'm an avid football fan. Uh, I'm a, I'm a born and bred Gamecock fan. Uh, so, you know, I love my Gamecocks. They're not always, they're not always, uh, uh, successful. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's what we have to, that's, that's who I pull for. Now that, um, you know, my wife's a BHP graduate, I enjoy going to BHP games uh, and those types of things. So, um, you know, enjoy spending time with my family. Uh, got four girls between my wife and I. Um, and so they keep us busy. They age, they age in ranges from 12 to 5. And they're all girls. So uh, we, we, have our, we have our hands full for sure. Where would you like to see the department five years from now? Do you have any like a, a plan you'd really like to see put in place to move y'all ahead? Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things that we need to do that I don't necessarily think has been being done um, in in years past, um, and that's that's in no shape form uh, um, a knock to any previous administration whatsoever. Uh, but one of the things that I think that we should utilize more is is our grant system. Uh, you know, we really need to try to get. Uh, in tune and submitting grants and those sorts of things that we qualify for uh, because we are a smaller department with a smaller budget and so any funding that we can get and receive is going to be beneficial from a technology standpoint to an equipment standpoint to anything um, I think we need to really dig into to federal grants and state grants those sorts of things um, that being said um, we just right now there's been so much um, uh, convolution and so much um, worry and stress about who was going to be the next guy during the transition and those sorts of things. So now that you know there is no more worry and stress of who it is, um, I think that gives us a really good starting point to be able to create some stability. Um, you know, being a smaller department, we can't offer, offer lucrative. Um, incentive packages we can't offer lucrative pay and those sorts of things so um it's it's going to be one of my top priorities to create invent you know um uh creative ways to make people stay for retention purposes that that is that is my number one goal to make this somewhere that people want to come work and and want to stay um i'm not so naive to believe that we we're going to keep everyone uh, that we currently have for for their entire career and that's okay um, because if they have an opportunity that's going to be better for them and their family then you know we, we're going to wish them well but uh, just just working on building our stability and, and retention and has your experience been good with cooperative efforts throughout the county if y'all have to cooperate with the whole the county has it been a pretty good law enforcement cooperation absolutely as a matter of fact laying laying here on my desk is a uh, is a uh, mutual aid agreement with the town of Honeypath and Chief Bozeman. Um, it's, it's already have, has both of our signatures on it. We're just, we just got to get the mayors on there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
the relationships that we have with um, Williamson Honeypath and the, the sheriff's offices is second to none. Um, during my three years here, there's never been an instance to where we needed one of the agencies to respond or, or needed some of their assistance that we may not have access to um, that they've ever turned us down. It's the working relationship with the department heads and, and amongst the, the road guys themselves, guys and gals, you know, it's a, it's a really good thing. It really is. Don't forget Belton's annual standpipe festivals this weekend. It's one of the biggest events every year in the county. And they will have food, music, car show, a lot of other things. You can check out the county's website or Facebook or the town of Belton, the city of Belton's website or Facebook for hours and details of that festival. Looks like good weather right now, too. West Pelzer also has a new police chief, Scott Stoller, who's one of the most experienced law enforcement in the area. He's uh, served in decades in various positions uh, and in Anderson County as a sheriff's deputy and emergency preparedness and other things. He is also kicking off a very innovative program to train officers and in the community about the challenges of serving those on the autism spectrum. It's a program I would love to see replicated countywide and then statewide and nationwide. And he talks about this program and about serving as West Pelzer chief in our interview. Now, how long have you been involved in law enforcement and how did you get involved in it? I moved here in 1991 to South Carolina, the Greenville area, uh, as a paramedic actually. Um, one of my friends uh, who coincidentally was the emergency manager in the end for Anderson County said, hey, we were paramedics together in Greenville, said let's go get in a reserve program in Malden. And so in 1991, uh, he and I and few others got in a reserve training program in Malden Police Department and we completed it in April of 92 we're sworn in and spent several years as a reserve police officer and that was my introduction to it um, from there fell in love with law enforcement uh, it was just another way to help people my whole adult life was public safety whether it be fire EMS or law enforcement and um, went down that path, left full-time EMS, went into full-time law enforcement, and then bounced back to EMS again and back to law enforcement again. So, and you were when did you come to Anderson? You were in Anderson County for a long time. Tell me about how you got to Anderson County. At one point, I, I uh, came to Williamston. I was hired into Williamston Police Department in 2004 as the training officer. Um, my boss at the time, I worked with in Lawrence County, the chief that was there. Um, and I was there for several months. Um, I wasn't very pleased with what I was seeing and I didn't have the authority to change it so I wasn't about to continue to be part of that. So I left there and um, came back again in 2006 and went to work for Public Safety Division at Anderson County. Came in as a training officer for the Public Safety Division. Um, was rapidly promoted up to the EMS and Special Operations Coordinator. And then in 2009, uh, they went under the Sheriff's Office and EMS did not, so I became the Director of EMS and Special Operations for the county. And Remind me what all that entails. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it does. Um, EMS and Special Operations, which the position is now held by Steve Kelly, um, and entail primarily oversight of the EMS system in Anderson County, which I probably don't need to tell anyone what that looks like or looked like. Um, but it it's, was overseeing the operations of several contractors at the time, there were eight at the time. 
um, as well as in 2010, we started the Quick Response Vehicle Program with the first one in Ebenezer. So we were actually a licensed DHEC licensed EMS provider. So we were both an oversight agency as well as a provider agency providing emergency medical service to the county. Um, as well, we provided medical oversight and ran the medical portion of technical rescue, the SWAT team for the county, the bomb team, um, various, anything pretty much that dealt with medicine other than the jail medical for the sheriff's office was our purview. Um, as part of that, at one point, the emergency manager came to me and said, hey, I have a grant for a bomb dog. And I've been involved with K-9 for a long time. So I'm trying to remember when that was. I want to say 2008 or so, 2009, I got a uh, bomb dog assigned to me. And so that became our purview under the EMS Special Operations Division. So I worked one and then retired that one, wound up working another one, and when I left the county, I bought the dog from the county, left the county in 2017. You worked for the county for a long time. Yes, sir, 2006 through 2017. And then how did you end up going from there over here to, to West Pelzer? What, what? Well, during the entire time with the county, I've been a class one or a full police officer since uh, 1995. So I maintain my certification by working part-time for different agencies along the way. Um, having a special needs child, my daughter Kathleen has autism, and my wife is a nurse by trade and have been working in the ICU and the emergency department. Needless to say, she made a lot more money than I did at most points in our careers. Um, so I was the one that flexed more. So I'd work somewhere and they may not have a schedule outfit or I'd have to work part-time. So I did that um, for a while and skipped around a little bit while I was working at Anderson County. So I worked at Iowa Police Department as a part-time officer, uh, Anderson City before that. And then uh, when I was stopped doing part-time, I came to West Pelzer and that was April 4th of 2016. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I can remember dates. Um, so I did that part-time, and then when I decided that I'd had enough of juggling things at the county and someone else needed to take the reins, um, I got to spend several months after I announced my resignation or my retirement from that position, trained Steve Kelly, and wound up coming on full-time here. And so I worked full-time here ever since. I mean, and so you've been chief for how long? Uh, chief, well, I was publicly sworn in last Tuesday. Right. It's actually been several weeks. Uh, I was sworn in on July 2nd, 2021 as interim chief originally. What are some challenges for West Pelzer as, as a police chief? Because it's different, a little town's different than the county and some other stuff you've done. Challenges are very few. Our biggest one, obviously, because of our size and our tax base, is money. Financially, we're, we're not as blessed as some of the other municipalities or the county itself. Uh, we may not have deep pockets, but we have a lot of people with deep hearts. Um, I love coming to work here. There has not been not one day in over five years that I've been here where I didn't want to come to work. I may have been tired. I may have not felt like it, but there's never been a day where I said, I don't want to come to work because there's always a new challenge. There's saying hi to someone. Um, so the, the challenges of the job are few compared to a lot of other places. Uh, the benefits are incredible. Um, you know, you and I were talking beforehand. 
my blood pressure is well in check. I've lost weight. I've uh, had a lot of good pluses in the health department. Um, so it, it's been really a great thing. Uh, we have a call it a front porch attitude or mentality around here, and I think the mayor uses that a bit, where we want it to be the place where people drive by and see their neighbor, and, and I consider them all my neighbors, even though I don't live in town. I consider everyone here my neighbor and my friend. And there's some people that don't like us some days because we're in a job of law enforcement. Uh, part of the job of law enforcement is doing some unpopular things. The other part of it is public safety. And so, the other day I went on a call, we gave Narcan to someone who wasn't breathing, and he's alive and with his family now. And it was accidental, it wasn't even a drug abuser. Um, so we I had a baby choking, went and took care of that. So we have a lot of opportunities to do good for the community in everyone's eyes, rather than being seen as just the guys that are writing tickets or arresting people in the stereotypical what a cop's job is. What kind of calls do y'all get mostly? I mean, what average kind of calls for somewhere like West Pelzer? I'm just curious. Um, people walking around and looking suspicious. Suspicious maybe they don't know them. Suspicious maybe they're up to no good or carrying a generator down the street or something that certainly would look suspicious. Um, shoplifting at some of the retail establishments. Um, we have um, some little bits of vandalism here and there. Um, we've got some drug activity. Um, very little of it is in town. A lot of it is transient, whether it be coming from the next town over or because we're Highway 8 here, while it's only a two-lane road, Clemson game days, you'd think it's 85. Uh, and a lot of the time we have truck traffic coming through. Um, a lot of people use this uh, route between here and Easley or Greenville and Easley if they don't want to bother with the Southern Connector or even going up 385 to 85. So a, a lot of the, what we have going on is coming through town. It's not really town-initiated. I think a lot of that is because we're here. We some, see some of the other communities where they have the sheriff's office who does a great job, but there's, they're few and far between. They can only do with what they have. And so we, we do a reasonably good job of keeping the crime down, and we try to. And Mayor Sanders has done a good job of building this into a walking town, a small walking yes. town, even though you're on a highway that's pretty busy. Uh, remind people why the speed limits are so slow to going through here. <laughs> well, we have, look at Gray Funeral Home, Gray Mortuary. Uh, they recently, or in the past year and a half, I guess, lowered it to 25 from 35 there. Their parking lot for whether they have visitation or a funeral is across the street. So we have people crossing the street, and mind you, if they're at a visitation or at a funeral, their mind's not in the game to cross that street anyway. So we try to keep an eye on that, and we try to get out there and either direct traffic or sit there with our lights on just to have a presence so people say, hmm, I might get a ticket here. Uh, not that that's our aim, but hopefully we, we stop them from going too fast before they do that. Um, we have the same thing, Milltown Cafe the exact same thing. Their parking is primarily across the street. They do a parking lot next to them. Um, we have the hairdressers here. They share parking lots with other people. And we have a town, like you say, that people like to walk around. I see every morning when I come in, I start work about eight o'clock in the morning. I'll see council people. I'll see people that just live up the road, walking, getting exercise on the sidewalks, walking their dogs, uh, out with their kids. They come to Chapman Park and play. And it, 
we need people to slow down and be careful while it is a primary route or at least a busy secondary route to get to somewhere else. It's our hometown Main Street and we want to keep it where if I never have to do another accident report for someone getting hit by a car, I'm going to be very happy. And unfortunately that does happen. When you were growing up, if somebody had told you one day you're going to be police chief of a small town in South Carolina, what would you have told them? I would. I didn't dream it. I didn't dream South Carolina. Uh, in case anyone hasn't figured out from the accent, I'm not from around here, as they say. I'm a New Yorker, uh, one of them. I've been here for 30 years, so I think I earned a little something there. Um, but I was uh, raised in the uh, suburbs of New York City. Uh, we just celebrated the 20th anniversary of destruction of the Twin Towers. And I watched those buildings go up literally 20 miles from my backyard. If one on the hill behind the house where I grew up, you could actually see the tops of the buildings. Um, so on a clear day. So I, I never envisioned that. Uh, growing up, I think I wanted to be an Air Force pilot, then a commercial airline pilot, um, when I was in fourth grade, my dad became a volunteer fireman because either he or my mother accidentally set fire to the stove. And he said he, we were in a very rural area of New York State, just outside New York City. And he didn't want to not know what to do if it ever happened again. So that started the public safety role. I used to go down on calls with him. You'd respond in your own car as a volunteer fireman. And I'd wait in the car, sit on the engine, and watch and became a junior fireman when I got the right age and went down that path and now here I am. South Carolina was nowhere on the radar until 91 when I was looking to get out of New York City and not pay over a thousand dollars for a month for rent um, in the late 80s. Um, it, just, it was unheard of but up there it's normal and now I wouldn't go back no matter what you pay me. And so public service, you've been doing it your whole life, yes, basically, sir. between with your dad and now. Yep, absolutely. I think another thing a lot of people know you from is Special Olympics. Yes, sir. Talk about how important that is to this area, and, and you talked a little bit about why you've been involved in it. Just talk about why Special Olympics is such an important part of our community. Well, we have a very large population. I don't know the right numbers now, a few years, going, well, probably going back five years. We had over 33 or 3,500 special needs um, kids, if you will, or young adults um, in the community, in the Anderson community. We have a large Special Olympics program. Unfortunately, COVID has all but ceased what we've been doing. Um, and as I said, I have a daughter that's autistic. So I volunteered with Special Olympics even before that. When I was in my late teens up in New York, I volunteered helping with communications at Special Olympics. So a friend of mine, we were all into ham radio and communications, we helped with it then. Never thought I would be this engrossed in it. Um, but um, it's important because there's people, whether it be my daughter or anyone else, that need our help because they can't do for themselves. At the same time, they could do a lot more than people give them credit to, credit for. So there's a balancing act there but a lot of it is enabling, a lot of it is sharing the word that just because you have a disability, it's not an inability, it's a different ability. And that's the key there. Um, you know, if you notice on my desk, you'll recognize that picture. I haven't 
put it in a frame yet, of radio, and he was a, a terrific friend. Uh, my daughter, when I worked for the county, went to the special populations program down there, and radio was right there with her. And uh, I go down there and bring the dog when I was working the dog for the county and volunteer time. Um, my wife and I both volunteer with Special Olympics Medical, both on the, or all three at the county level, um, the state level, run the Special Olympics Medical team there, and the USA level. So we've been to a few different statewide or nationwide competitions throughout the country. And I uh, was kind of hoping to go to uh, Orlando in 2022, but we'll see if that pulls off or not. But um, Special Olympics is a, a, if I could do that for a full-time job, I would do it. If I could do it for free, I would do it. Unfortunately, I have a mortgage and a few other bills to pay. But uh, I would quit pretty much everything else I did for that. That's where my heart is more than anything else. Um, you haven't really seen a good day till you sat there and helped someone and put a smile on their face. And it, it's an addiction. Once you help one time, if you don't want to come back, there's something really wrong with that person. And um, so it's just tremendous. You've been here a long, pretty good while now, Wester. People have gotten to know you. Um, how can people who live here help you do your job better here in West Belgium? Keep us informed. Uh, reach out to us. When you see us going by, oh, it's a cop. No, don't do that. Wave to us. You know, we I've got a um, got one more guy coming on board on the 27th. Uh, just hired another one the other day to replace me from moving up. And um, we all have the same mindset that we're part of the community. The public's part of the community. We are the community. And we, we want to be ingrained in the community. Um, we want to make sure that people aren't afraid to approach us. We've changed uniforms. I'm wearing my nice white shirt today, but instead of the green tactical look we had, everyone's in a, in a typical blue uh, work pant with a blue polo shirt now. Um, we don't need the shiny badge. Yes, they have a badge embroidered, but we wanted something more approachable. And what I did is for the first few weeks of being inter interim chief, I had a friend make me up with a shirt like that. I just started wearing it. I didn't tell anyone anything. The mayor saw it and fell in love with it. Kid working at 7-Eleven said, I like that, that's more approachable. What more do you need than a teenager say that's a nice uniform, you know, they really don't care about us in, you know, what the way you normally think. So kind of without saying anything, let the people make up their mind. I've had people on the, older than me and people way younger than me and everything's been positive about that change. Um, so they can really help by just trying to accept us in, which they do. I mean, I, I've never felt more welcome during the height of some of the racial tensions going on through some of the things that have gone on over the past few years. Um, I've had more people of any race come up, give hugs, kind of standoffish with COVID, but you know what, I'll take my chances if I'm gonna get a hug from a citizen saying thank you for what you do. And get hugs, handshakes, thank you for what you do. You're sitting there, they wanna go in and buy you water at 7-Eleven or do whatever. Um, I've never felt more welcome in a community and everyone that works for me and worked with me prior to me becoming chief has always said that. This community, my wife wants to pick up and move today. Um, a little harder than that to sell a house. But uh, I'd be absolutely open to that. So 
I could see retiring here. Okay, tell me about this new program we're talking about here. Okay, and what it is, it's, it's for special needs. We started with autism because that's my closest thing to my heart because of my daughter. And so it was an autism response alert program. And actually it was spearheaded by uh, David Green, who's the chief at Welford Police Department. He and I are very good friends. And we talked about autism and talked about special needs. He knows my love. And so they started this in Welford. And I said, I want to bring it here. And I've been trying to for months. And now I have the ability to start whatever I want, pretty much. So what it is, there's really three parts of it. One is training the officers to recognize people on the autism spectrum. Uh, we know that there has been good and bad instances throughout law enforcement, fire, EMS, teaching, wherever. Any, any walk of life, there's problems and there's good and bad everywhere. Um, but a lot of it is misunderstanding. And the biggest problem with autism is it's a lack of communication ability. Uh, my daughter used to have terrible tantrums. It wasn't that she was a bad kid. She couldn't talk. She was actually diagnosed as, we were told by 18 she'd be institutionalized and never speak. And one guy, one of the early interventionists said, you wait, you'll be telling her to shut up one day. Guess what? Uh, and she has a job. So getting back to this though, um, communication is a big thing. So when you can't communicate, just like any other small child, they'll lash out. So that's where a tantrum comes from. And so it took us a long time to figure that out. So we wanted to train the officers how to deal with that. Also how to understand the, the different behaviors that those on the autism spectrum have. The lack of eye contact, the lack of having uh, handshakes or hugs, the things that most kids would come up here, typical kids may come up and want to hug the police officer. The autistic kid may not want to, or he may back into you. That, his hug may be his back end. Excuse me, let me silence that. Um, so we'd have that and uh, go through the training. And I have an a, uh, agreement with Florida Institute of Technology. We have the Scott Center for Autism down there. And they're offering us the training for free online. So we got hooked up with that. Getting all of our people have gone through that except the newest one. He's got to go through it. And they get a certificate at the end to account towards their recertification training as well. It gives them a really good, I looked at several programs, and this is the one with my experience that I thought was best. And so we went through that and continued to send people through that and want to develop a refresher. So the officers know what to expect as best you can. And then the next step is to um, try and introduce the officers, and we want to bring public safety in. We want to bring the fire department in. We want to bring EMS in as this EMS system settles down and, and becomes more part of the community and include everyone and have a day where we'll be able to meet everyone. It may not be a whole big event. It may be going to John's house, Mary's house, Susie's house, because again, big groups are not always good with people on the autism spectrum, but we also want to do a special needs day. So we want them to learn about us and meet us on a good day, on a happy day when they could say, these are my friends. So that way, if and when tragedy strikes or a crisis is occurring, then it's like, oh, there's my friend Scott. Not, oh, there's a police officer with a gun and a badge and he looks scary. I mean, I'm a pretty big boy. I look scary on every day. But still, we want them to be welcoming to us and we want to be welcoming to them. Uh, the other thing we did is we have these stickers we came up with. 
and it's to be put on the front door or the main door of a home. So that way it will hopefully drive our mindsets and eventually fire an EMS to saying, we need to change our mindset going in here. It doesn't mean you're not on guard. It doesn't mean that if we get a call for a shooting, we're not going to go in without, with, you know, without guns or anything. But we're going to be more open to that there may be someone on the autism spectrum in there that we may have to treat a little differently. We may have to be more understanding. And hopefully we can head off a terrible secondary crisis from happening because we weren't aware that someone was in there on the spectrum and may turn their back on us, may yell and scream for seemingly no reason uh, or have any of those other behaviors. Uh, we want to make it so there's a positive outcome. Our goal in every interaction is a positive outcome. Uh, my goal when I make a traffic stop is to have you say thank you in the end. Not forgetting the ticket or the warning, but because hopefully I've treated you like I want to be treated. And that's one thing I instill with all of our people. Golden rule. We, we live by the golden rule here and treat other people like you want to be treated. And this seems to be... Uh at least somewhat along the lines of what people nationally are, are calling for with law enforcement is to be more understanding about you know special populations when you respond to somebody you know, right it's not everybody's not the same exactly so you're moving in that direction it, exactly and i guess because i live it it's so much easier and but your goal is to make sure that the folks here are trained to at least have as much information as possible going in to make those decisions exactly i we know, last thing we want is confrontation Injury, death, we want, if we never have to do anything but say hello to people all day, that's a really great atmosphere to be in. I'd rather we be the people that hold doors for people and help them cross the street and give them directions. I mean, what more can you want in the end and help for the medical emergencies? That's another road we're going down here. I'm paramedic. I have two guys that are certified um, EMRs, emergency medical responders. One of them wants to go to EMT school. I'm going to get them through EMT school. My goal is when you dial 911 and we show up, we can do something. We not, may not be able to solve the entire problem, but we'll know who to call, we'll know how to start treatment, we'll know how to start putting the fire out and do everything. I'm a volunteer firefighter here. Um, they kind of wrote me into it knowing I've been a firefighter for all these years. So I was handed an application that said, sign this. And they talk to the mayor, and I help out with that during the day. Um, and they know I'm not here at night. I'm at home. But, um, which, I'm a volunteer firefighter where I live, too. But, um, yeah, I, the social life isn't much. And fam so you stay busy. Yeah, you? family life, they just come with me. So. Iva is also looking busy, and they're looking back on a very busy summer and ahead to an even busier fall. And town manager Tim Taylor said the downtown activity is humming. Well, what's, what's been going on in Iowa over the last few months? What's been going on over the summer? And let's just kind of recap it that way. Okay. Well, we got our parks finished. Um, those uh, park grants that we talked about a couple months ago, um, we, the picnic shelters are complete. Uh, the concrete uh, pads, or the, the floors are finished now. So um, those are available. We're excited because we've added grills. And so now folks can go over there and actually grill out. So uh, we haven't um, seen that. Ha We're a little late in the summer getting it complete. So, um, but we hope hope some folks will use that in the fall and uh, utilize those grills. And so uh, that those are nice amenities. 
and of course we're grateful to the um, folks down in South down the uh, Parks and Recreation Department and the, the delegation here in Anderson County for approving those grants because for a small town that's about the only way we can afford to get those kind of projects done. Nuts Park gets a lot of use too, right? We do. We get a lot of use um, and we also were able to complete our um, gazebo project. Basically what we did there is the flagpoles, there are four flagpoles in front of our gazebo. Well, they were there. Um, the, the gazebo project was done back in the early 80s uh, with a land and water conservation grant, which I think is, is part of this PARD grant now, but there were trees planted out there in memory of the astronauts that were killed in the Challenger explosion in 86. So those trees, uh, one tree in particular has grown so tall that it was interfering with flying the American flag. So we didn't. We we trimmed the tree, the limbs uh, for years, but now the tree itself has gotten so big that we we don't want to cut it down. So the the solution was move the flagpoles. So in planning for doing that, we decided we wanted to just enhance the veterans park a little bit, and so we um, we made that a little bigger. We moved the flagpoles so that the flags can be seen from 81 and from Front Street. Used to, Front Street was the main road through town and now the 81 is widened into a four lane. It's the main thoroughfare, so we want to uh, be able to showcase our, our Veterans Park for everybody to see and in particular the flags as well. So we've got that done and we're grateful for a park grant and for the delegation for approving that for us. So that's complete now. We do have a few more things we want to do to that. We want to add a nice monument and a statue of a soldier so we're, we're working on um, getting that designed and the actual cost and contributions and grants. Is that it a particular we soldier or just? It's a life-size soldier that will be kneeling at the uh, monument that will have the names of the um, folks that were, were killed during a war. Um, we had a monument out there uh, that's been there for years that had those names listed, and we moved that to the American Legion post over on um, Hampton Street. So that was preserved and they're grateful that that was moved over there uh, to their their location. And so we're, like I said, we're designing a new one now and we hope to have that uh, installed by the end of the year. And uh, we're grateful to the folks who have made contributions on that and we'll um, be keeping you updated as we go on that. I'm sure we'll have another interview, interview before then. But, um, but anyway, that's gonna be a nice enhancement to the Veterans Park. And how about, we talked about last time some housing developments are maybe being considered and they're looking at some projects like that. Is anything, any progress on that? Yes, uh, we do have some folks that are showing interest in building some houses here. It's not many houses, but you know, we'll take what we can get. And, uh, but it will be nice to have a new inventory come in. Uh, we have a lot of mill houses here that need um, revitalization, renovations, and um, and, and some of those are getting that. You have some folks that are buying some of these houses and that uh, see, um, you know, the potential of what they could be, and they are working on them. And, um, but, but again, you know, as, as a small community, we need new housing. And so we're grateful for the, folks, for the folks that are showing interest and we're trying to work with them. It's not many houses, but, you know, if we can get two or three a year, hey, that's great for a small town. And it looks like that's the route we're going to be going. Um, and we can handle that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that is, uh, we do see a lot of interest. Um, and not just in the city limits of Iva, but in this southern area of the county, we are seeing um, an uptick in folks moving here from other areas. Um, 
and so that's great. The lake area gets a lot of interest, um, and we, we talked about this before, but as folks move into the lake area, that benefits the town as well. Um, so we're hoping that will continue. And over the summer, you celebrated the anniversary of People's Bank, and you had a big, you know, it was also a town celebration, too. Yeah. Remind people what happened. So the bank celebrated their 70 years, their 70th anniversary in the town. That's been a real major player in Iva, hasn't it? It has. They've been a major player in Iva because they they bought uh, the uh, the post office, the old post office, which at one time was the Masonic Lodge. It had had a couple of uses, but when they outgrew it, they built the new location. So they helped with developing the town with nice uh, buildings, and of course they've just branched out and they've taken the Iva name to other areas. I mean, they're, they're referred to as the People's Bank now, but they were the People's Bank of Iva for years. Um, their first location outside of Iva was Homeland Park, and then they branched into several areas of Anderson, and now they're in Pendleton. So they've taken our our brand and moved it around a couple places, and, and they're just a good group of people. Uh, they, they're, they're good professional hometown folks. So we were very, very honored to be able to celebrate with them their 70 years. And we had the lieutenant governor here who was very, um, just, she was so nice and gracious when she was here. Um, she complimented the bank, the town, and it was really a treat to have her here. Um, very warm and, and just very open to um, meeting the folks in Iva. And she congratulated the bank, and it was a good day. The weather was great. Had a lot of folks show up. And in particular that day, we, op we, opened, we reopened our museum. And we had been working... What we did with the museum is we took everything out and started over again, which um, we thought at the time was a good idea. <laughs> but in the process, we found things that were not displayed. We moved things around, and it, it turned into what we thought was uh, develop, was developing into a nightmare uh, because now we've got all this stuff we've got to put back out. We've got to make sure it's showcased correctly, um, and now we have a deadline that has got to be done. And so we spent Saturdays and Sundays and evenings, and but we finally got it done, and we reopened it um, the uh, the day of the celebration, which, which was on Sunday. And the museum showcases Iva's history. The, really, not only Iva, but the Star community, the Lounsville community, um, and then the area schools that were here back in the early 1900s and 20s and 30s. And so we, we found an old school desk from the 20s. We have that on display over there. So we had that open the day of the celebration, so a lot of folks were able to go in there and, and see it. The lieutenant governor uh, made her rounds through there, which was great. But we had a lot of politicians in town that day. Uh, Jay West was here. Mike Gambrell was here. Ray Graham was here. Our mayor, uh, the mayor of Lounsville, uh, Mayor Starr was here. Mayor Sokol uh, was here. And um, it was just a really, really good day where political views were put aside and it was a day of celebrating local industry or local commerce and uh, it was a good feeling for everybody we had band silver here they uh, provided music and so after the celebration folks danced even the lieutenant governor uh, had her moves out there so that was a real treat but but again appreciate you asking about that because that was a fun day and it was one that'll go down in our history books and the the museum itself is in an old the old building the bank was in, mm -hmm. so it's also tied into the bank. Yeah. So for the next couple of months, we do have a display of the People's Bank. Uh, it actually the vault is where we have 
the uh, the bank display, but as you walk into the museum, we have some modern day uh, People's Bank um, up front, and that'll that'll change over time. But right now, we're going to leave that there because it's such a you know major part of that building, you know. But but again, uh, we encourage folks to come down and and walk through the museum, and and I'm sure that the the older folks in the community will see things in there that that they're familiar with that'll make them feel good and then for the younger community it's it's a great it's always great to learn about Ivis history and uh, so we encourage folks to go see it we do have something coming up we've invited the schools to create recycled scarecrows to create a scarecrow made of recycled materials and so those um, scarecrows will be on display in the museum in early October and they'll be judged so um, yeah, that'll be an opportunity for parents and school kids to go look at the others um, scarecrows and then view view the um, view the um, um, museum as well. Hey, we're we're not in court right now. Yeah, you need to go. We're interview right now. You need to go deal with that window out there, and they'll help you out. Okay, ask the lady at the window to help you, and she'll help you. Okay. Sorry about that. Anything else over the summer that, that happened here in Iowa that people? Well, we were able to have our summer nights concert series. We had a few that we had to move over to the Civic Center. We're fortunate that we have a Civic Center because when the weather is not agreeable to us, we can move it over there. And um, some folks like it over there better because uh, it's got a nice concrete floor in there and you have restrooms and it's cool. You have the air conditioning that you can use and when you're out there dancing, you're going to sweat. And so um, they like the the uh the air condition but we like to have it outside because it it's uh, good for our restaurants and of course with covid it's always better outside but um, those have been well attended this year the bands have been great and uh, we we're just excited that we're able to do it you know and um, but that that's coming to an end in the fall and but that was one of the um, that's one of the signature events the town gets to have um, of course the people's bank event was was a big deal um in the spring, we had our spring events. We had our big community-wide yard sale. Now, we have a slew of events coming up in the fall. All right, what's coming up here in the fall? And next? So, October the 9th, which is just a couple of week weekends away, we have our Depot Day, and that's our big fall festival. It's a one-day event. We have a big car show that goes along with that. We'll have about 100 vendors, craft vendors, art vendors, some food vendors. We'll have a band out there, and we'll have some rides for the kids. Um, that's coming up on October the 9th. Um, October the 14th, which is the following Thursday, is our chili cook-off. That's where we have amateur um, chefs. Uh, we don't have um, – it, it will be judged this year, but it's, it's a fun thing. It's not a professional uh, judged event by no means. But we do have about 20 um, individuals, businesses, um, restaurants that will be participating in that. Um, and basically – they all cook about two or three gallons of chili. The folks in the community and visitors will go around and, and sample the chili. And uh, we will have three judges. But again, it's a, just a fun judging thing. But we'll have a first, second, third place. And then we'll have a people's choice. So if you come and you like some chili, you can vote on that. And uh, we'll, we'll award that as well. But we'll have a band here that night. It'll be a fun night. Um, October the 23rd, which is... Um, the Saturday before Halloween. I think Halloween comes on a Sunday this year. So a lot of folks will celebrate Halloween on that Saturday. So we don't want to interfere with church events or 
trick-or-treating. So we will have our big Halloween on Main event the weekend before, which is Saturday the 23rd, where individuals, businesses, churches will line our downtown area and kids will walk through and they'll be able to get candy and we'll have a band and we'll have some events for those. Um, that's always a fun event. A lot of kids dress up. We'll have a couple thousand that'll come through. And we're grateful to the folks who um, volunteer to give out candy because that's a lot of candy. It's a lot of candy. Um, we'll keep the dentist offices open for the rest of the year at least, um, but that'll be a fun event. So that's the 23rd of October. And then, of course, Christmas will have another slew of events as well. Our Christmas parade is already planned for December the 18th at 3 p.m. We'll have a tree lighting on Thursday the 2nd, I believe, of December. Um, and we'll have kids from the schools that will participate their courses. Um, and then the band will participate. So it's a great opportunity for the kids at the school to showcase their talent. And then we get to, you know, have a festive event. Santa Claus will come. And um, so we're, we're hoping that we're going to have these events. People are looking forward to them, and that's, that's, our, that's our plan. What about economic development? Any new businesses over the last several months or any planned new businesses opening? We had a new restaurant. Well, we had two new restaurants. Um, our Mexican restaurant uh, closed down during COVID, and so we were concerned about whether or not they were going to open back up. They uh, they did. It's under new ownership, so it's it's still Mi Fiesta, but it's under new ownership. So they opened back up in the summer, and they've been doing great. And then we had a new barbecue restaurant open up, Chalk's Barbecue on Broad Street, opened up. He's open um, Thursday evenings through Sunday, and um, so that's been a success, and we're we're glad. So that's that makes about ten restaurants for Iva, which is tremendous for a little small town, you know. But um, there's a lot of food options here. And then we just announced that Dollar Tree is coming. So our old Fred's building, we were getting a little nervous because nobody was showing interest in the building at all. And uh, we're grateful for the um, fortitude of the real estate company. They just kept kept on and said, you know, we'll eventually get somebody. But they, they did a great job because Dollar Tree announced that they were going to be coming here about a month ago. So we're working with them now on, on getting them set up. I see they've put a sign up down there that says Dollar Tree coming soon. So it's official. Um, we're hoping to have them up and running in about six weeks. So they'll be back filling the old Fred's building. And we think they'll do a great job here in town. Our folks are excited about it. So uh, that's that's a major economic development news for IVA, you know, and it's good for our community. Um, but that's about the only thing. We're still working with Jackson Mill Property. We want to make sure that the development there is the right development. That's major property for good development for the town and for the county. So um, we want to make sure that it, it is a good development that's going to be the right fit um, for us down here. So we haven't really put a whole lot of work into it. Uh, we're just we're getting um, the pieces put together now. Um, I know that the mill is owned by Really, it's owned by a couple of different owners. You've got it sort of pieced together. There's several parcels there. So working with the individual owners, working with um, potential developers, environmental issues, um, bringing the county on board to get their, their assistance as well so that in the school district, because once everything is said and done, you know, what, what is there is going to be there for a long time. So we want it to be a good development. So we're not really rushing on that right now. We've had some interest in it. But again, pulling all those parties together to make sure it's the right fit, it's going to take quite a, quite a while to get that done. And, um, but it will come together. 
but you know for the folks who live here in the community locally and for the folks who travel through Iva quite a bit don't expect anything to happen anytime soon we're we're putting together uh, the plans now and you know maybe within the next two years we'll see something going on there but there's a lot to do uh, between now and then to get it ready but but hopefully we'll be announcing something within six months to a year you, know. you mentioned the school district you got the superintendent of the year right here I'll tell you what so in the last three years we've had the teacher of the year for the state here from school district three and now we have the superintendent um, from right here district three and she's a great person she really cares about the students in district three the staff the 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 school system, its reputation, what they're offering, and apparently the state saw that as well, um, because she is the superintendent of the year. Superintendent of the year, um, the county honored her a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be doing the same thing with a parade on October the seventh. That's a Thursday night. Um, Crescent High School is having their homecoming, so we always do a little parade through town uh, to get ready for that. To do a pep, big pep rally for the football team. So this year we're going to utilize that event in honoring her as well. So she's going to have a parade through town, and um, there will be a little concert after the after that's over with, and we're going to celebrate her and what she means to our to our area. She's local. She went to school here. She taught here. That means a lot. That that refines your your love and commitment to what you're serving, and what she's serving is students and um, the community. So we are just really, 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 really proud and so honored to celebrate with her this year. And again, like I said, that, that is about three years of good recognition for School District 3 and the Star and Iva community. One other piece of news that has happened since last time we talked was the announcement of the new um, hydroponics herb plant. That's kind of mm -hmm. down this direction. That'll be a lot of jobs yep. for people down here. Yeah, that's... Um, that's in our area, and that's going to be good jobs for folks who live here. It's a good economic development tool to recruit people to move here and live here. And so we, we applaud the county um, for, their, for their diligent work on, on that and um, hope to see more. You know, we hope that uh, we can see more development uh, in this area of good you know, industry. Uh, but that, hey, that, that is great. Like I said, we, we applaud the county and their efforts in, in uh, recruiting that here. So we, we're still working on the uh, old dime store, which is the old Browns 5 and 10 uh, building right here on the square. Uh, we, we do have a grant um, for some, a new roof and some other renovations that we need to make to the building. We will be applying for future grants to, to help uh, complete the renovations in there. No specific use for the building right now. Uh, we do have some architectural renderings of what we'd like. Um, what we envision is it, it being for the community. Um, so you know, for, as far as it being a, a rented out business or something like that, there's no plans for that. We want the building to be used for the community, whether that be a space that can be rented for community events or, or whatnot. Um, that, is, that is going to be our intended use. Um, a lot of work needs to be done to it. A new roof, uh, new windows, new floor new air conditions. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that's got to happen to it, so it's not going to be anything that's going to be open tomorrow. But over the next six months to a year, we hope to have it complete and available uh, you know, for, for our community. But that building has a lot of history in town. It, go, it dates back to the late 1800s. Um, the, you know, the depot was across the street in the parking lot, and 
that was a grist mill at one time. It was a funeral home. It was a furniture store. It was the Browns 5 and 10. Um, when you walk through there, you will see things from those prior periods that kind of left in there. So it's interesting to go in there. Right now, um, there's still some old wooden shelves in there that we haven't that we are having taken out now to get it ready for some some renovations. But um, we're just excited to see what it's going to become. And we're glad that we're able to um, preserve the building. Um, if you're if you're not from the area but you've been through Iva, this is the building that has the mural on the side of the the painting of the old uh, depot. So that that was important to the town that we preserve the building, and and we are able to do that. So. Um, we're just hoping that in the next, you know, foreseeable future that it's going to be put to good use for the community. I will have updates with the county's other mayors next time. But it's clear Anderson County is attracting more and more economic development and more and more housing developments are going up. They're going up about as fast as they can get them in the ground. And county council last week heard updates on from the Finance Committee, the Sewer Ad Hoc Committee, and an update on EMS, the Public Safety Committee on the EMS uh, Unified Program and where it is. And County Council Vice Chairman Brett Sanders helped me recap that meeting. We had some resolutions tonight, Sickle Cell Anemia Awareness Month to uh, help the Red Cross in uh, raising or increasing our blood supply. So please get out and, and donate blood. We also had a resolution honoring uh, Mr. Francis Crowder, who served on council, was a uh, uh, chairman of council at one time, uh, finance committee chairman, uh, was instrumental in the East-West Connector or East-West Parkway, big in his church, done a lot of great things for the, the citizens and the community and the people of Anderson County, so we recognized him. We also recognized uh, Colonel Dan Durham, or Dan Durham, the EMS chief from Pelzer, uh, for his services to the community. He was a Clemson University graduate, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, uh, stepped in in the Powdersville area and in, in the Pelzer area and helped implement the, the EMS system and, and the care, not only just for that area, but for uh, Anderson County and his community. So that was uh, well-deserved as well. We had a report from the Public Safety Committee, was one of the things tonight. And uh, we're 21 days in on our new EMS uh, system. And it's actually getting better every day. I know uh, I hear some complaints and, and things of that nature of it, but actually uh, I had requested some data. Uh, we're, we want to be here. We're here now. Prior to our old system, we're here. Um, we had some issues uh, last week or a week before last, and we had the highest call volume ever in Anderson County. Our QRVs are working great. Uh, they're making some adjustments on staffing and positioning of them, but it's, it's a living, breathing entity that has to be tweaked and changed, and I think our Public Safety Committee is doing a, a wonderful job in following up and listening to the needs. Uh, we've made some changes in dispatch. So, again, it, it's it's early on in the system, and it, I, I truly believe, and I believe the, the majority of the council believes and the public safety co committee believe that it's, gonna, it's going to be uh, what's best for the citizens overall. Just got to get behind it and, and support it and uh, allow, allow some time. But uh, for those that are concerned, our call volumes and times uh, less than 10 minutes are greater than they were prior. 
Uh, like I said, some of the tweaks and the adjustments that we're working on, I think uh, we required uh, the contract says that our provider should have 17 ambulances at peak time. As of today, I think we had, I don't think we had 21 uh, ambulances actually running today. So uh, things are progressing and moving in a direction that, that uh, we know that it will. And some of the anticipated pitfalls are not really pitfalls, but some of the anticipated problems or things that need to be tweaked have come up. We, we were aware of them, and they, they have been and are being addressed immediately as they, they come up. Uh, we had a report from the Sewer Ad Hoc Committee. Um, there is, uh, we're closing down one of our sewer treatment plants that is actually at capacity, and we're saving, it's going to end up saving the taxpayers a, a lot of money, I think $21 million a year just on shutting it down and going the alternate route that we're doing. It's going to free up over an additional now uh, 1.5 million gallons per day. We're going to be able to treat it now at $1.26 per thousand gallons. And we're talking, you know, a million gallons a day. So that, that's huge savings. Uh, the plant or the uh, waste treatment facility is not going to be totally decommissioned. We're actually going, uh, they call it mothball it, but we're going or looking into using it to uh, accept uh, septic waste and treat septic waste, which there's nowhere in Anderson County now to do it. So it, it's going to be repurposed or reused. Uh, along with the savings of the, the gravity lines that we're doing, freeing up. Uh, right now, like I said, you've got TTI on that system. You have Robert Bosch on that system. The, the plants out there, that as they expand and grow, they have sewer requirements and needs, and right now it's maxed out. So this is going to uh, allow expansion and to create more jobs, and I think we're... We discussed earlier today on a fee-in-lieu agreement with uh, TTI. I mean, they're... 2,000 jobs, what was the 81 million, 81 million dollar year payroll, and that, that sewer deal allows us to create those jobs, and I think it's going to be win-win uh, for the county. It's going to save money, create good high-paying jobs, and uh, promote industries to actually come into Anderson County, right? As you know, and we've got a very diverse group of industries. We're no longer uh, textiles. And we're no longer just automotive. We've got a, a diverse portfolio of investments. So uh, that's what a county or, a, or or your portfolio, anyone needs to succeed. You don't want all your eggs in one basket. And I think uh, our economic development office is doing a tremendous job. Our administrator, our council members are, are working to diversify our industries. And I really appreciate the efforts that people are, are, are putting in. Also tonight, we had a report from the Finance Committee meeting on 9-2021. Uh, I'm the chairman of that committee. Uh, some of the things that came before the committee, we had a request from the uh, library for uh, a two-year pilot program on broadband internet, or hotspot, so to speak, and for uh, it was a $22,000 investment. Uh, it's going to allow the county to provide internet access through the library system. You can actually go and check it out on a two-year pilot program. And I was amazed that just in the area, certain areas, six out of nine of the Anderson County library locations are tracking over 30% of the people don't have access to the internet. And I mean, that's a shame in 2021. And 18,000 
uh, roughly in in the Anderson County area without internet. And we had the American Rescue Plan Act that's funding. It was a $39.3 million act that was uh, that we discussed before and it was primarily we want to do infrastructure, sewer, uh, and things of that nature, broadband, uh, some other things uh, with uh, charitable organizations to uh, help them. I know a lot of them have had issues and things due to the COVID and, and some funding issues. So uh, there was uh, $31.3 million that was came out of the finance committee that went before council tonight for uh, there was six total sewer projects, some sewer projects that are, we have one that I think uh, our wastewater manager showed me with the borescope dealing there. This actually has holes in it. So we're uh, bringing up some of those up to current specs. I think there was some stuff in some stormwater issues, Gilmer Estates, uh, but there was six projects overall that are going to be addressed, that need to be addressed, and uh, I'm excited to see that, that the funding's there to do those. Uh, there was also a, a joint money to do our joint wastewater treatment plant, which was uh, a great project, and I met with the and, uh, administrator and others I met with the, the city of Pendleton, or the town of Pendleton. We met with Clemson. It's going to be a joint venture with uh, Clemson, Pick Clemson, Pendleton, and Anderson County, and it's going to allow really us to get more bang for the buck. We have funding to uh, build our own sewer plant uh, based on the amount of money and the funding that we were going that's required to do it. We can go in together with those two, uh, Pendleton and Clemson, go in together with those two, and actually get uh, excuse me more bang for the buck. We're going to get more capacity uh, plus. In doing this, the, 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 the wastewater plant is actually planned uh, for future growth. So as we do expand and grow, it's not like uh, you got to go back and, and redo a lot of other things. It's one of these that you can actually just continue to build upon. And, you know, we're not disturbing any more environment or neighborhoods or property to build a new facility on. The facility's there, it's existing. So I think that's gonna be a win-win for the citizens of Anderson County, Clemson, and Pendleton overall. So I was excited about that program. There was also, uh, there's $1.6 million remaining out of those funds that we are haven't voted on yet, but we'll come back before the finance committee. And the primary focus on that is broadband. And I know that there, uh, I get a lot of calls from you know the Townville Fair Play area where I live. I don't have internet access, so I'm having to try to do everything off a cell phone until I can get to the office. But there's a lot of funding coming in that hasn't been spelled out how it has to be or can be used. I do know the county is partnering with some private entities and things as well on getting our engineering, our, our thought process around what we need to do. And there's going to be uh, a change for Internet. When I, when I ran for office, that was a big thing for me, and it's still a big thing for me. And I, I just keep pushing and, and chipping away at it. But there's going to be broadband. Uh, there's going to be uh, some stuff done at, at 1428, the old TTI building on Pyramid Dairy, uh, some corridor ways for the, the sheriff to utilize uh, part of that facility as well that has to be done for security reasons and some things for uh, the Civic Center. We had a, a good meeting overall tonight. 
Oakwood uh, School had uh, some students here tonight. It was exciting to see some youth out there uh, getting involved in local government. But again, it was a good night overall. We've got a lot of great things going on in the county. Good projects, big projects coming up that's going to uh, allow uh, for to expansion on corporations or companies or industries that's here. It's going to create some more jobs for us. And uh, I'm just so happy and proud and thrilled to be an Andersonian and to uh, work for my constituents in District 4 and to work alongside the other council members. And uh, we all work together to make Anderson County better as a whole, and I appreciate it. Among the keys to so much of the work going on in the county is the availability of grants, and it's an amazing thing. And Steve Newton, who's Director of Governmental Affairs and Special Projects for Anderson County, updated why grants are so important and so key to the growth. Steve, talk a little bit about why grants are important. I know that's just a small part of what you do, but why grants are important to the business of Anderson County? Grants are very important because, as I like to say, they broadly help us to uh, fund quality of life initiatives. Now, what is quality of life? The first thing that comes to my mind is providing somebody with a good-paying job and a rewarding career will most certainly improve the uh, quality of their life. So a lot of what we focus on are grants to help support uh, infrastructure and other things related to economic development projects. Um, and then after that, we have more of our traditional quality of life programs, which um, uh, go into areas such as parks and rec development or uh, human service types of projects. But I think people would be surprised the extent to which a lot of our grant programs cover both the economic development end and the traditional quality of life end. Try not to rock it again. I know it's yeah. not natural. Mm -hmm. uh, give me some examples of the economic development grants of, of recent you know, months or years that have been helpful to the county. Okay. Uh, one that comes to mind uh, most immediately is we were recently awarded $500,000 from the Appalachian Regional Commission, or the ARC as we call them. They are a longtime uh, funding partner of Anderson County. Uh, this is a special federal agency that covers uh, the, what they define as the Appalachian region, and we are included in that. And they love to fund projects that help to spur economic development. Uh, we just got an award from them, again, $500,000 to support upgrades to the uh, Hurricane Creek uh, pump station located on Clemson Boulevard down there uh, where um, Catherine's Kitchen used to be. Now that pump station there is very, very important. It has reached its capacity and we need this money to upgrade it because that pump station serves several homes other than there, over in there, but it also uh, provides service to Glen, Ra Glen Raven and Nutra and other industries uh, there along the Liberty Highway. And uh, so those are undoubtedly um, uh, industries that we need to make sure we take care of because of the vast number of people they employ. But this is one of those grants that's 
again, it's economic development, that's how we justified it, but it's going to end up providing a, uh, improved uh, sewer service and more reliable service to a lot of residential uh, customers over there. Um, another type of uh, economic development um, uh, project that we did, and this may seem like something small, but it's very important to a lot of people. Recently, we were awarded $130,000 uh, in State Workforce Investment Act funding. And we use this money to hire somebody who works in our economic development office who serves as our re-entry coordinator. What this person does is they establish contact with persons who are currently incarcerated but are due to be released in the very near future. And uh, this person works with those people and does assessments as to their uh, job skills and what their uh, prospects might be once they uh, are released from their obligations and uh, tries to help them make that transition from, um, uh, from incarceration to gainful employment. Again, it's not, uh, not as much money as is involved in that as something like the Hurricane Creek Project, but still very important. If we can serve uh, 10 people through this program and get them into real careers, that easily covers the, the cost that the public has invested into this program. So that one's very exciting. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, we will be uh, celebrating uh, with the community the opening of our new airport terminal. Uh, that again was funded by the Appalachian Regional Commission, along with the uh, South Carolina Aeronautics Commission and the South Carolina Department of Commerce. Uh, all of these agencies uh, put in a substantial amount of funding, as did the county, because we see our airport terminal as being one of the most important economic development engines we have. The reason being, a lot of important decision makers who are trying to decide where to build their next facility, they'll come visit Anderson, and the first thing they're going to see is not this beautiful downtown um, that the city has done so well revitalizing, First thing they're going to see is Anderson Regional Airport's terminal. And having a terminal that helps to meet their needs, their immediate needs, when they land, puts on a good face for the community, it's the welcome mat for a lot of people coming into our community. It's easy to lose sight of that, but it's very important that we put our best foot forward uh, for these people who have interest in us. One other thing I'll mention on the economic development side was we spent a total of about $6 million in what we call local access road funding. The, uh, that is made available by the federal government for road construction projects that specifically uh, help to make possible large-scale industrial and manufacturing operations. Uh, we used this money we got from local access resource, resource funds to support all those new roads you see over at TTI up there at exit 27. All those roads, those were assisted, uh, the construction of which was assisted by the federal government through uh, this program. Very fortunate, very fortunate to be able to access that. And to be able to access those funds, to, we had to demonstrate, of course, what this impact would be uh, of this, of TTI would be to our community. And what about some of the other recent grants that people may notice upgrades or things that are happening because Anderson County was able to get grant money for it? Certainly. One thing that's very timely right now is um, the county was offered uh, 
uh, $6 million in emergency rental assistance program money. Uh, as were a number of other jurisdictions. Uh, this was made available through the legislation uh, related to COVID relief. A lot of jurisdictions decided we don't feel like we can handle, you know, this kind of program. And uh, their money went to the state, which runs a, the state housing office, which runs a program statewide. We thought about it, and we got with our friends over at AIM, who are already doing this kind of program. And we uh, worked with them to where we were able to do our own, uh, our own local program here. If somebody is in need of emergency rental or utility assistance, is at threat of eviction, is at threat of having utilities cut off, they can make contact with AIM, and uh, AIM will work with them to uh, uh, try to help them get caught up on their rent and their utilities and put them on a more sustainable path. I think that's very important because we've had well over a million dollars in um, uh, in assistance money that we have made available to our local residents just in the past couple of months this program has been available. Um, another, uh, uh, another more traditional quality of life program that we do is uh, we work, do some what we call CDBG projects, Community Development Block Grant. A lot of people have heard of that before. We were recently awarded $300,000 in traditional CDBG funds which we are going to use to tear down hopefully about 10, th uh, 10 structures uh, in the Homeland Park community, which are vacant and uh, derelict and substandard. They really need to come down. Uh, we have been awarded that grant. We are working out some final details related to the execution of that program. But people should be able to see some activity happen over there within the next several weeks related to that. We were recently awarded uh, almost $300,000 from a special uh, CDBG coronavirus uh, relief fund. We worked with some of our community partners to put together a package of programs, working with uh, groups such as United Way, um, Upstate Warrior Solutions, uh, South Main Chapel and Mercy Center, and a few others to try to put together uh, a set of programs that will provide services that are needed in the aftermath or during the continuation of the pandemic. We're talking about things like uh, uh, assisting people with getting rides to work, um, food bank assistance, mental health first aid, a uh, variety of assistance to veterans, uh, domestic violence uh, victims, because those numbers have gone up substantially during the pandemic. Substance abuse, that number has gone up um, quite considerably during the pandemic. Uh, trauma victims, we've even thrown in uh, as part of this program uh, some funding for something very special that our, that our county special population recreation program wants to do. The director, Kathy Schofield, approached me with an idea to see if there would be funding to where she could do a virtual program that would take care of qualifying uh, special needs adults who for whatever reason are simply unable to physically attend um, uh, uh, sessions at, uh, you know, the, the sessions that are part of the regular special populations program. 
we uh, presented this to CDBG as a pilot program, and they signed off on it. I'm very excited about that one coming together. And remind people, this is money that already exists that would be going somewhere else if Anderson County was not able to get a hold of it, right? That is definitely the case, uh, especially with regard to the COVID money. The federal government put that out there, uh, and regardless of how one feels about it, that money is going to be spent. I feel like we would be doing a disservice to our citizens if we didn't compete for every eligible dollar that uh, we could get. We like to get money for projects that, we've, that are well thought out. We don't want to get money just for the heck of it. We want to be able to put it to good use. So when we find programs or uh, grant programs that are in agreement with what we can do here at the local level, we most assuredly go after them, and I make no apologies for that. It's incumbent upon me to try to return value to the uh, citizens of Anderson County. So would it be fair to say that over the last 10 years, tremendous amounts of grant money have made life better here and that would not things that would not have gotten done or would have been harder to get done or I would I would think that's a fair assessment Greg um, what uh, in addition to some of these uh, more traditional quality of life initiatives that I mentioned a moment ago uh, one thing we're working on now is the federal government is very interested in funding broadband access uh, there most of Anderson County according to various sources uh, is well served by the internet by internet access but there are several places that are not we've talked to citizens from several communities throughout who either don't have internet at all or else the service is substandard so right now we are working uh, on a, a countywide broadband assessment and we're going to use that as guidance for um, uh, for us to prepare funding proposals that we'll, uh, we will send to the uh, NTIA, the National T uh, Telecommunications uh, Infrastructure Administration. Uh, they are making grants available later this year that we hope to compete for and uh, hope that we can work with a telecom provider with these grant funds in order to um, uh, bring broadband to eligible areas. Uh, one thing we have done along those lines was uh, with some grant programs we are not eligible to apply for them but a partner might be uh, and in this case um, WCTEL approached us you know, some people know that they do broadband activity down in the IVA area and you know in a, an increasing part of Anderson County they had an opportunity to uh, compete for some state-level broadband money uh, that would uh, help to bring service to the area around grits and groceries. And uh, they came to us and said, does this sound like a good idea? We said, yes, because we've been told by several people out there they don't have broadband. So we provided some technical assistance to them. They prepared the actual application and did the project. But this was an example of a partnership that we were able to do together. So that's one thing uh, uh, I think that as time goes on, this will be more of a long-term kind of thing, but I think we're going to start seeing some more immediate types of uh, examples of things of that nature. Another thing that Andersonians may not realize off the top of that is that tourism and associated industries, they contribute $287 million every year to the county's gross domestic product. Okay, so, you know, 
probably next time that that comes out will probably be 300 million. That's quite a considerable amount of money. And that's money that is float brought into our community and is floating around through here every year. We feel it incumbent upon uh, upon us to try to assist and promote tourism-related uh, industries here in Anderson County uh, because the benefits just speak for themselves. Uh, if I could give some examples, um, a lot of people know that over the past several years we've been doing a lot of work out on the Saluda River. For many years, I mean, locals knew about the Saluda River, but this was really kind of a hidden gem that uh, uh, is a regional amenity. How can we take advantage of this? So our recreation director, Matt Shell, uh, he is an enthusiastic kayaker, and the first project that he and I worked on about 11 long years ago was to uh, try to get grant funding to put in uh, an ADA-accessible kayak launch down at Timmerman Landing in Pelzer. And um, when he first approached me with the idea, I'm like, man, I, I don't really see this, but I'll go along with you and do what I can. Fortunately, that was the start of a long and fruitful partnership with the Duke Energy Foundation. They fell in love with the idea of improving access, especially for, um, uh, especially for uh, uh, persons with physical challenges, to uh, go down the Saluda River. They, of course, have a vested interest in the Saluda River with their uh, plant down there at Lee Station and so, uh, and so, so on. So uh, they have helped us to, we start with the Timmerman plant, we did that. And um, we've done uh, not one, but two launches up at Dolly Cooper Park with the assistance of Duke Foundation. And uh, later, uh, later on this year, we're going to have an official grand opening of our newest launch, which is improvements down at Belton Landing. They're on Cooley Bridge Road. And those improvements, again, a partnership with our great friends at the Duke Energy Foundation. So those, uh, those types of projects, they promote not only quality of life and ease of access for locals, but also they help build upon that tourism impact uh, that is so needed, especially in towns like Belton and Pelzer. Getting day visitors out that way just really goes a lot to help these communities help their local uh, economic uh, engine to keep clicking along and to get people more familiar with the, uh, you know, just the wonderful advantages that these communities offer. Um, one other thing I'll bring up is um, to support the tourism, the whole tourism theme, is Green Pine Landing. Um, Green Pine Landing, since it's opened back in 2015, has had an economic impact exceeding $70 million. Again, that's quite a bit of money to be floating around the community, and we owe it all to these tournaments that come in, in addition to people who come from all over the region, not participating in tournaments, but just to be able to access Lake Hartwell on this wonderful facility. Um, we've received literally millions in grant support from federal programs as well as state-based uh, programs that come out of uh, SCDNR, uh, such as the Game and Fish Fund and the Water Recreation Resource Fund. We've also uh, received assistance from SCPRT, 
most recently in the form of an undiscovered SC grant, which helps to um, uh, helps to with facility development at tourism generators like Green Pond Landing. Um, SCPRT also helps us with a program called the STAR program. Now, uh, STAR stands for State Tourism Assistance. Uh, I'm not sure what the R stands for. But at any rate, that's a program that we get money from. Uh, we apply for various events that are on behalf of various events that are coming here. And we, um, uh, we use this money to help defray some of the county's costs that are associated with, uh, uh, with staging of these events. And uh, through that, we are able to keep the county's exposure uh, very, very negligible for the support that we provide for tournaments coming in. But these tournaments, in return, give us such a big, uh, a big return on our uh, on our public investment to the tune of seventy million dollars in just a few years. So that's something else. So that's the way that we uh, that's uh, that's the way that we use grants of various types and various sizes to try to you know, really get the most comprehensive result we can out of things that we are doing here. It's, uh, uh, it can be challenging to bring a lot of these together. Uh, it can be frustrating in terms of sometimes the timing's just not right or, uh, or, or there's not a proper grant opportunity that's available. But when these projects come together, it is, is a very good thing. You know that we've spent several years working on the cleanup of the old Toxaway and Riverside Mill sites. We have just finished all that stuff. Uh, we got a little weeding we need to do, but uh, we received a lot of grant money uh, from um, the Environmental Protection Agency to help us do that project. And uh, I so look forward to that being totally completed and turned into a community amenity. And Steve Newton was also on hand Saturday for the official opening of the Anderson Regional Airport's new terminal, a really nice building if you hadn't been out there, which, as Burns said, is a crucial piece to the county's uh, economic development puzzle. There's new runways, and there's some new cargo space, and pretty soon there'll be a new children's play area out there with an airport theme. So if you haven't been out to the airport, you ought to check it out. And not so far away, the Paul's Dog Park is also nearing completion. They have... Now ask to find people who are looking for pets for forever homes or for foster homes. And you can check them out on Facebook for more information or see a list of animals that are available to adopt. And another element in that central part of any community's growth is access to education. And with Clemson just up the road and Tri-County Tech with multiple campuses in the county, Anderson County is also home to Anderson University, the largest private college in South Carolina. The school has grown rapidly over the past 10 years uh, due to the efforts of Dr. Evans Whitaker and now has added a school of engineering, which is going to take it to a new level. I talked to the dean of that new school, Dr. Anthony Giuseppe-Elli, about the current state of the program and about the future growth there. How did you end up at Anderson University? Well, that's a, that's a wonderful question. A good starting question. So that journey to Anderson University began about six years ago um, in conversations with President Whitaker about the possibility of engineering at AU. And um, that journey 
involved several of those conversations to which uh, President Whitaker would noddingly and politely say, yeah, very good, uh, Tony. <laughs> but eventually we had a real conversation and the, the, the short of that conversation is that we created a, um, a blue ribbon task force to study the possibility of engineering at AU. And so in 2015, we convened that blue ribbon uh, task force and um, the result was a proposal to the president to say, hey, maybe we could consider engineering at AU. Um, and um, at that time, we were in the middle of um, one of the expansion um, activities of the university. We were building the student center. We were, um, it was not the appropriate time to start engineering. Um, so that resulted in engineering taking a little back burner until 2020. Uh, so for five years, um, it incubated, and then in 2020, we started the College of Engineering. And before that, you were at Texas A&M? That is correct. That's a pretty large m monolith to come from there to here. Right? Yes, yes. Texas A&M is quite a large university with um, maybe eighteen to 20,000 engineers in the, um, the College of Engineering, and... Uh, 68,000 students uh, in its whole portfolio, so it's quite a large university. Um, but the opportunity to be at a faith um, institution um, with a rich liberal arts tradition and to bring engineering into that uh, environment was just very attractive to me because I hold very dear the concept, the notion that engineers should be equally endowed with the capacity to reason and to think and to engage in debate and nuanced topics, not just um, present the numbers. And that's a sort of traditional liberal arts argument about education, correct? Yes, that's correct. And so this is an opportunity to fuse that rich liberal arts tradition with uh, engineering, which traditionally um, in uh, engineering is usually um, just a handshake to some general arts um, courses in the engineering curriculum, and it's all about engineering. Uh, we're trying to do it a little differently here. And when you were putting together this Blue Ribbon panel, what did you identify as the needs for an engineering program here? What, was, what were the goals? What was the idea behind it? Right, so first and foremost, we wanted to change the overall trajectory for um, the graduate engineer. We recognize that graduation with an engineering degree often takes more than four years. The graduation rate uh, in four years is about 33% nationally. We would like to be able to do better than that. So that was one of the motivations. The second is we thought that one way to address that would be to reverse or inverse the curriculum, put much more hands-on experiences in the first year. Traditional engineering ed education ends in a capstone design project where students have studied all the basics, they know all of the fundamentals, and then they go into design and capstone design. We think that it's possible to approach this by persuading students that design is the, is the hook and that they will learn the fundamentals because they're passionate about creating and, and designing. So we put more hands-on experiences in the first year. The second thing is we said, all right, we will embrace the liberal arts tradition and allow our students to see things with a bit of nuance. So we put into the curriculum things like 
science, technology, engineering and math, and public policy. How does po public policy become informed by knowledge of science and, 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 and math and technology? Uh, we also put entrepreneurism in the, in the curriculum. So those were some of the elements that go into the curriculum that informs what we want the student to do when the student graduates. And I, I talked a little bit to Dr. Whitaker about this, but y'all worked closely with local corporations and business and industry here on what they need from engineers as well. Is that correct? Right, that's correct. And so part of that conversation um, led us to a focus on the major engineering disciplines, electrical engineering, computer engineering, mechanical engineering. Those are the engineering disciplines that are in most demand for our I-85 manufacturing intensive corridor. We see the growth of industry in our region, um, particularly with regard to manufacturing. And not traditional manufacturing now, it's robotics, it's, um, it's advanced manufacturing, it's um, use of smart um, manufacturing practices just in time. And so we, we really want to give our students an opportunity to participate in that growing economy in the region. Uh, Anderson University continues to be largely a regionally fed university. Um, that's changing, but most of our students come from the region and most of our students want to stay in the region. So that gives us the opportunity to put into the curriculum an emphasis, for example, in the mechanical engineering degree is on manufacturing. In the electrical engineering degree, that emphasis is on agility, systems agility. And we also have computer engineering with an emphasis on cyber hardening. We have a cyber security center on the campus, so we're leveraging that asset, working with them to build a more, um, a, a different kind of computer engineering program. And Anderson County has more international development than any other county in the state of South Carolina. There's 51 companies from 18 countries, mm -hmm. and I guess the demand, particularly from international companies relocating here for engineers, is pretty high. Am I correct? That is correct. Um, we now have Electrolux, having dedicated its Anderson facility as one of its major uh, research centers for Electrolux worldwide. So the uh, R&D center led by um, uh, R&D director here in Anderson will be the focal point for that. Um, we have other companies coming to the region. TTI. Is TTI, the, for example, yes. Gigantic. Yes. Um, they have emerged as a very important um, player in the engineering recruitment um, space. Um, but all of these companies are companies that have the potential for working with Anderson University cooperatively to help define what they expect of the incoming engineer, as well as participating with us in building this uh, engineering um, uh, college. So I hold a dual responsibility for as founding dean of engineering, but I'm also vice president for industry relations. And so that gives me the opportunity to have these conversations with the members of the, uh, the C-suite of these companies to talk about what engineering education can do for their next set of employees. And you're saying the wheel's in motion this year for the program, right? You have some courses, is that correct? Yes, well, we've already, always had at AU a math and engineering degree within the College of Arts and Sciences. The math and engineering degree uh, is a degree program jointly with Clemson University. 
students would spend three years at Anderson University, complete most of their mathematics for the math and engineering degree, and then transfer to Clemson. And after the fourth year, their fourth year, which would be their first year at, at Clemson, they can apply to earn the math and engineering degree. And so we've always, always had uh, a small cohort of students pursuing that um, dual degree program. Uh, but this year, for the first time, we piloted our program. So we admitted 26 students into this pilot program, very talented, uh, very highly motivated, highly qualified students into this program. And um, they're off and running. And next fall, it opens full tilt, correct? Correct. Next fall, we should open full tilt. We are still recruiting faculty because you need engineering faculty to teach engineering. You need approval from SACS to teach engineering, so we are in the process of seeking those program approvals. But um, we, we approached it rather cautiously. We wanted to pilot things, see how they worked, look at the resource requirements. You know, uh, you can always design on paper, but when you design to build, it, it helps to, to, to do a prototype or, or a pilot. And that's what we've done. We've been prudent. Um, responsible, I think, in, in approaching a pilot uh, program so that we understand all of the nuance, all of the difficulties associated with curriculum approvals, just getting curriculum approvals within the university. Um, as you know, we have very rigorous processes for assessing new programs. So that uh, itself has to play its course. Um, and uh, yeah, so we are very proud that we've been able to start a pilot program, but next Next year, we will ab admit an inaugural class. Are you working closely with the county and the needs of the county and the county administration and stuff? Absolutely. The county has been most forthcoming um, in working with us. In fact, the county is the one who loops us into many of the conversations with companies that are moving to the area. Um, you know, universities play a very important role in the recruitment of companies to a region particularly tech companies, whether it's manufacturing or communications tech or, um, or other areas of tech, um, they want to know that they can have a source of employees. And so they, uh, one of the litmus tests for many of those companies is, what is the local university doing? And not just university, but also the two-year colleges. They are very um, keen to engage with um, the two-year colleges uh, as part of that discussion. So uh, we are happy to be at the table, happy to be participating with the county um, in economic development and um, playing a role in receiving those companies as they move into the region. Looking ahead, say 10 years down the road, what would you like to see the reputation of Anderson University's engineering program? How would you like to see that position from other people? That is a $64,000 question. So um, what I really am hopeful for is a, an engineering graduate who will be entrepreneurial. That is, whether they are within a large company or on their own, taking a view of engineering that is self-directed. Um, that comes from sharpened or heightened communication skills. So we are emphasizing technical communications within the curriculum. Uh, a great sense of ethics which will be fueled by their faith tradition. 
we also are hoping that our engineers will be innovation-minded. That is, they will see opportunity and reach for them. Um, and, and we are designing those things in the curriculum. We're not just expecting those things by wishing for them. We are designing those things, those elements, into the curriculum. So there is a course on entrepreneurship and innovation. There is a course on um, sustainability in the curriculum. So students have a, a better appreciation of uh, what is expected of them. Uh, and I think that has been one of the areas that I hope that we will distinguish ourselves in that we are delivering in the curriculum what we expect from the student. What, people who don't know you, tell them a little bit about your path. How did you get into engineering and how did you end up in Anderson, South Carolina? Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> Do you have all day? <laughs> um, so I started off um, as a science major, really, um, with an emphasis on chemistry and analytical chemistry, biochemistry. Where the, were you in school? I was at the University of the West Indies. Um, I studied at the St. Augustine campus in Trinidad and at the Muna campus in Jamaica. Graduated from the Muna campus in Jamaica, but went to the University of Manchester, the Institute of Science and Technology, and pursued a graduate degree, uh, master's degree in um, in the chemical engineering department in what is called corrosion science and engineering. And then transitioned from there to MIT to study material science and engineering. I did a brief postdoc and uh, then went to industry. And I spent 15 years in industry before I took my first academic position. Um, that was at Virginia Commonwealth University, which at the time was also starting its School of Engineering. So I was one of the first professors recruited into that program. Um, and then um, 10 years later, I was recruited to Clemson University, which brought me to the region. Um, I liked the region. I spent 10 years, almost 10 years, at Clemson University um, and have lived in, in Anderson for the last 16, going on 16 years. But um, the last five years has spent commuting between um, Anderson and uh, College Station, Texas, and Houston. That's a pretty good commute. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting commute. But it's one that worked for me. It worked very well. Um, there are direct flights between Greenville and Houston. And I could get on a flight at 6.45, 7 a.m. in the morning and be in my office in Houston because of the, the time, time difference, the one-hour difference, and be in my office in Houston um, by 9, 9 a.m. and then spend the day in Houston doing what I have to do there and then be in College Station uh, that night. So um, it worked quite well. Um, I enjoyed it, uh, learned a lot. Um, will I do it again? No. <laughs> but um, it, it, was, it, it was a good, good experience. You must really like this area, though, to have stayed here and stayed in Anderson. Yes, absolutely. In fact, today I was giving a talk at the Kiwanis Club, and that subject came up at the table. Um, our love of Anderson, there is a universal love of this community um, with things that you would not expect. Uh, a wonderful arts community, a rich, vibrant arts community in the Arts Center, GAMAC. Um, we have wonderful uh, resources. We are situated 
conveniently between the mountains and the beaches and uh, my wife and I would not hesitate on a Saturday to drive to Asheville and have lunch and come back in the afternoon. Um, it's, um, it's just a wonderful place to be. Uh, if we want a city, it's not too far. It's Atlanta if, or, or Charlotte. Um, and Greenville, of course, is a gem. We try to tell uh, as few people about it as possible. <laughs> but uh, uh, Greenville is such a great asset um, for entertainment and for just a sense of community. I think whenever you go to a city and you see that in the evening, um, a plurality of people walking the streets, older people, middle-aged, young kids running around, toddlers even, whenever you see this, it tells you something about the vibrancy of a city. And um, that's one of the things you see in, in, in Greenville. And also in Anderson. Stu students, let's talk about students because I'm very student-centered. Um, you know, one of the challenges students face with, a, with an engineering curriculum is it's, 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 it's demanding. It's demanding of a different way, a different approach to, to study. You have to spend time on task. Um, you can't, um, there's not much room for picking it up as you go. You have to engage with subject. You've got to do your problem sets. You've got to spend time with your homework. You've got to, you know, you've got to be present, ever present in class. And the first year is the most challenging. When our traditionally admitted students come onto the campus for the first time away from family or maybe first in family to attend a university, um, how they manage their time is, is, is critical. So we are putting into place uh, peer mentoring um, support. Uh, we want to put in place um, a number of mentoring programs that would allow students to navigate that first year successfully. Uh, Anderson University has a great reputation and in fact has received lots of accolades for its first year program. And you will see that the most recent US News and World Report um, has been very kind to Anderson University. Um, but peer mentoring is important and mentoring and professional mentoring also. So that's the first year experience is, is, is very valuable. We want to be a place of hospitality for our students. This has to be a place where students feel welcome, um, they feel valued um, and privileged, and with that comes some responsibility. So that's a tradition of AU. We want to keep that vibrancy going in engineering, even though we know that in engineering, which is very intense and not a lot of opportunity for social um, distractions, um, but we will find those in other creative outlets. So I've already alerted the president that um, when you have engineers on a campus, it changes the dynamic of the campus. You can expect to see, um, <laughs> you know, banners flying <laughs> on, on the building or something <laughs> that um, the engineers uh, uh, put together. So engineers are, 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 um, tend to be a little bit of a... Um, not, not mischievous lot. They tend to be a little bit mischievous in the way they do things. So. But we are tolerant, and you have to be tolerant uh, of that because that's a creative outlet for, for the creative-minded student. Meanwhile, at AIM, in addition to feeding hundreds of families and providing a wide variety of other programs and services to our community, uh, they're in partnership with Anderson County to distribute that $6.1 in federal funding to help those who need rent assistance as a result of COVID 
Well, so far, they've already distributed more than $2 million and helped people stave off eviction. And now that the moratorium on evictions deadline has passed, they're getting swamped with requests for help. You can find out more on their website, aimcharity.org, or on Facebook. But the day's coming that this, these funds are going to be more and more needed as we see the cold weather coming and more and more people getting evicted. So keep in mind AIM and the program they're working there in conjunction with the county. And also don't forget AIM is now collecting donations for their annual trick-or-treat so others can eat program. And you can find out more about that and how your Sunday school class, community group, school group, whatever, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts can participate in this program and helping others in the community who might need a little help. And if you're looking for a place to make a difference in Anderson, AIM, Mills on Wheels, Fresh Start, Good Neighbor Covered, Foothills Alliance, and so many other agencies can use your help, even if it's only for an hour or so a week. These agencies are still recovering from 18 months of pandemic challenges and are in need of the community right now more than ever. And so you might want to check them out on any of those groups on Facebook or just give them a call and tell them you've got some time and would like to volunteer. Because the pandemic is still in full force, with Anderson County one of the hottest spots for the virus in the state, which is one of the hottest spots for the virus in the nation. And AnMed is still jammed with patients suffering from COVID-related ailments, the overwhelming majority of whom, close to 90%, are unvaccinated. Our doctors and nurses are exhausted and resources are stretched. Uh, Many people who are trying to get in for other ailments can't get in. And meanwhile, the propaganda forces that claim the virus is not so serious and imply that the number of deaths from a disease in this country, which has now surpassed the number who died in the Spanish flu of 1918, is intentionally inflated. I heard one local pastor vigorously push such false information. And while at least passively equating the vaccine passports to the mark of the beast and got the applause from his congregation when he did, and I find that sad. The vaccine has saved untold numbers of lives around the world, And just another reminder to not get your medical information from pastors. Um, Those who have preached many COVID funerals have a better understanding of the dangerous nature and the dangerous message such such nonsense is spreading. It's strange you would need to tell people not to get their medical information from a pastor, but these are strange days, so don't do it. Talk to your doctor if you're confused, and especially if you're unvaccinated and confused about that, talk to your physician. Anderson School District 5 is continuing to be applauded for their leadership in this, getting their employees and eligible students vaccinated, with nearly 90% of employees now vaccinated and a growing number of students who are eligible, fully vaccinated, which will assure that they will be able to keep in-school instruction going without putting so many people at risk in the days and months ahead. Uh, Unvaccinated individuals are 9 to 11 times more likely to die from the pandemic, according to the latest CDC data. It's actually closer to 11. And I have made it clear that opposition to the vaccines is one of the reasons pandemic has a new life and why our hospitals are running out of room for those with non-COVID-related issues. If you disagree, again, talk to your doctor, a real medical doctor, if you need that to be made clear to you. September is also National Library Card Sign-Up Month, and the local library system is offering a chance to win one of two $100 Visa cards. And just pick up the Libraries Empower bookmark from your local library, fill it out, and write how the library has empowered you or your family, and turn it in no later than this coming Thursday. That's September 30th. Library cards are key to magic and wonder, and I've had one since I was old enough to remember. And it's the best free ticket around, and you can still, you still have time to not only sign up and get a free card, but win a prize as well. 
Anderson County Library Director Annie Sutton deserves a round of applause, too, for her efforts to kick off a program to provide Internet hotspots for those who live in areas without broadband. There's so many offerings that are uh, Internet-related from the library, and Annie's working to see that those people can have access to them. These devices, once available, will be in stock for patrons with a library card to check out for up to two weeks at a time. And she's doing a fine job and taking over leadership from Faith Line, who retired earlier this year after transforming the library's system into the best in the state. And the county is also looking at potential new sources of funding for rural broadband initiatives. Uh, so much of the county, up to 25 to 30 percent, may be without reliable Internet service. The state's received more than $70 million earmarked for the project, and other pro proposals are asking for additional $400 million for the states for this initiative. The pandemic exposed the weakness of the access to countywide broadband, and the county council has been working on potential solutions for more than a year. Hope that works out. There's one national effort. The Rainbow Housing Assistance Corporation is now providing free broadband and other services to Friendship Court Public Housing in Anderson. That's always a good thing. Just hope that the combination of efforts can make it possible to get reliable broadband no matter where you live in the county. From working at home to virtual school demands, Internet service is no longer a luxury, but a public utility that should be available to everybody. So let's just hope that happens. One place that is available to anybody looking for something good to eat is Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill. Uh, I've known Bill Nickus since he came to town. He's a good friend, and Sullivan's is get a new, fresh look. They're getting new tables and chairs have been ordered. They're waiting on them now, like everything else, a little bit back ordered. But they do have a new website and new menus. And there's some new items on the menu. You might want to check it out for lunch or dinner. It's, Sullivan's is one of Open Table USA's no, top 100 restaurants in America. And Sullivan's has reigned as the king of Anderson's top fine dining experiences for more than two decades. From their signature dinner, dinner entrees, the trigger fish, the stu stuffed pork chops, steaks, to the specials. You just can't get anything better than Sullivan's. Plus, they have specials every day, and the food is always a treat. Check those out. Sullivan's desserts can't be beat, and their smorgasbord of key lime pies and cakes and the many, many um, cheesecakes that are available are something for everybody every day. And that same great food is available for your special event with white tablecloth catering and prices comparable to far less elegant and far less tasty competitors. So give them a call. When you go to Sullivan's, tell them you heard about it on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Well, this weekend brings not only the Belton Standpipe, but the last weekend of the Milltown Players' new season. And this weekend is the Red Velvet Cake War, which has received really good reviews, and people who've been to see it say it's really funny. And all those who are involved are excited about this production, which has been in the works for more than two years. And the Electric City Playhouse also kicks off with a presentation this, this weekend of Jer Jerry's Girls. So there's a lot of uh, theater back and going. And the Anderson Art Center is looking for artists who have a connection with Anderson University for a new show. Any current or former student or faculty member is eligible, and you can find out more at the Anderson Art Center Facebook page. And if singing is more your thing in music, the United Way of Anderson is holding their Anderson Sings competition, and it's open to all for uh, who want to participate. There are prizes, and they'll have uh, stages for you to perform from. And it's all about voting online, that competition is. You can find all the details on the United Way of Anderson's website or on their Facebook page. And that's Anderson Sings. Well, that's it for this long extended edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast, News from People You Trust. Join me next time. But until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. So I guess I'll stay here in New England for all of 
So I guess they'll stay here 